Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Serial Vasquez. Hi. Hi, Ana <laughs> Diaz. Hello. And Jeff Markia, father, back again. Howdy, friends. Welcome. And is it true that you've legally changed your name to Markia, father? Yeah. I wrote it on the birth certificate. Oh, so. perfect. Way to go. Uh, you, wait, of... they have you write the birth certificate? That same. Yeah, you write your own You write your own name on that, right? <laughs> I, think that's I didn't screw that, that up, did I? No, it's like signing your name, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeff, I'm, uh, I'm sure you're too healthy to have read any of the comments, but there are a lot of nice comments about the podcast last week and people being like, oh, it's really nice to hear a dad going in-depth talking about the emotional impact of having a kid. It turns out you don't hear oh, that too often nice. on gaming podcasts, so good job, yeah. dude. Good job being a human. There we go. There we go. How's everything going on the dad front? I'm tired. <laughs> so tired. Are you still on that two-hour rotation? Yeah. The the last two nights have been a little rough. The, he he can sleep longer, and, and it's really nice when he does, but the past two nights there has been like a two-hour period where we've just been up that long, just trying to, like, running the diagnostic tests of what's wrong with this kid, what he's upset about, yeah. before we finally get him back to bed so that... That kind of bones the next entire day. Do you think, and we don't need to talk about kids. We got a lot of fun stuff to talk about with games here. But do you think there's always something logically wrong that's making them cry? Or is it just sometimes I just feel like crying? Like, can you cure every cry session is what I wanted to know? You know, that's also what I have wanted to know. And it we have a pretty high success rate so far. But, but yeah, there's got to be times when, you know, kids just not happy, right? Yeah. I mean, adults have those times, so... Absolutely. Why wouldn't a kid? Yeah. Yeah. It totally uh, makes sense. I don't know. Who knows? Um, hey, before we even start this show, I want to share what was recently added to the MinMax network. And I, I think it might be the dorkiest, most wonderfully geeky piece of content we've ever created. And that includes the Final Fantasy VII Remake Deepest Dive. The last episode of our music podcast, Crossfade, hosted by Matt Helgeson, is a celebration of Van Halen. And it is amazing. They have a guest who has written several books about Van Halen. I've never heard a more informed guest on any podcast ever. It is ridiculous. Like if you want the deepest dive on Eddie Van Halen and just his legacy and the band, I had such a blast listening to that. So please subscribe to our podcast Crossfade and uh, give it a give it a review if you like that episode, because I think it's no offense to myself or Anna, who has been on the podcast before, but I think it's the best episode by far. Like, it's so. so oh, no, so. I can't. Co- I can't compete with someone who's written books and books. <laughs> I don't know. You liked Frank Ocean a lot. Uh. Hmm. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but also uh, table setting stuff. Uh, Watch Dogs Legion. Um, the reviews are out. Some people like it a lot. It's ambitious. It's weird. Uh, I saw our friends at Game Informer, a friend of the show, Marcus Stewart, gave it a 9 out of 10. Um, Leo Vader is champing at the bit for this game. It's his most anticipated game in years. And so on Thursday, if you're listening or watching this on Thursday, he is going to be streaming the entire game. We'll have the archive up on YouTube afterwards and everything. Well, not the entire game. Let me go back a step. He's going to be streaming for 12 hours. He is going to do a huge marathon stream on our Twitch channel. So give us a follow. Min Max Show on Twitch. Check out that archive and watch Leo hopefully fall in love with Watch Dogs Legion. It's kind of a funky experiment on our end. But then also there's going to be more bonus streams in the future. So please give us a follow on Twitch. We'd appreciate that. All right. We're in it, folks. Suriel and Anna, Jeff, I assume you're too busy, but Suriel and Anna, have you guys noticed that like this week 
it seems like the console wars are in full tilt. Like, especially on Wednesday, it's just an explosion happening. Everything's just firing on all cylinders mm-hmm. now. It's like, fire everything. We need to get yeah. eyeballs right now. They've brought out the fridges. Like, it's it's on. <laughs> so, yeah, Jeff, I assume you didn't see this. But uh, Microsoft, you know, because everybody called the Series X a fridge when it was first revealed, they actually physically made a Series X fridge. Like, life-size functioning fridge. Oh, good. Uh, that they're going to... I uh, have a giveaway for, but they also gave it to Snoop Dogg to promote yeah. on Twitter. It was weird because he took that post down almost very quickly because I think it was embargoed or something. But they oh, really? gave him a fridge uh, and it was full. It was a full fridge. It had a cake, uh, like an Xbox One X cake or Xbox Series X cake. But it also had like groceries in there. It had like <laughs> it had like packages of eggs in there. Like Snoop Dogg doesn't know where to get eggs. Like he's just gonna be like, great. Now I'm set for the next week or so. I can make my omelets. Like I love the idea thing. of like a small group of PR people coming together and be like, okay, we have two fridges. We need to optimize the use of these fridges. Um, one's a giveaway, and the other is going to Snoop Dogg, and then. One time, I was like, "Wait, okay, let's fill it with groceries." <laughs> yeah, yeah I, well, I, I think in there. I think they were just afraid what Snoop Dogg was gonna put into it. Like, <laughs> he, the tweet would be him opening it, and it would just all be liquor in there. Maybe, ooh, yeah, like the thing he's known elevators. for using a lot liquor. Uh-huh. <laughs> Remember a couple years ago. You don't put your pot in the fridge. <laughs> hey, not yet. Not with ray tracing. Maybe you do want to put it in there. Oh, pot it like it's cold. Don't get that joke. There's no, there's no jokes that really work no. anymore. Um, no. But do you remember when they got Snoop Dogg to promote the Spyro remaster too? Like Activision hired mm-hmm. him to like film that video of him like going in a parking lot and be like, "Look, a dragon in the sky." <laughs> like it's so <laughs> weird when they tap Snoop Dogg to try and make a big, you know, splash. Uh, but also, just on the marketing angle, I love seeing what Microsoft and Sony are doing. And on Sony's end, uh, they tapped Travis Scott to create like as a creative partner is the way they pitch it in the blog uh but then also he's like you know the voice for a launch commercial for playstation 5 and it's so weird and you gotta wonder they were probably locking in these plans around the same time that like the huge Fortnite travis scott concert happened do you think it's just as easy as that is like we need somebody hip uh this guy's in the headlines because of Fortnite. we'll take him or anna you're you're hip you understand is travis scott that huge that this is the go-to person you'd want connect to your system it seems like there's have, we sort of get these figures who are like known video game sympathetic. Like, like there's so many people <laughs> yeah. who like celebrities who like people don't know if they play games, but then they do. They seem like a lot more relatable and personable, like Chrissy Teigen or whatever. But then there's like there's uh, Snoop Dogg, there's Travis Scott, and then there's um, the other person who pops up frequently, T Pain. And so I feel like. There's just like this tiny handful of like, oh yeah, they're celebrities that know video games. And so they just like reach for that yeah, person. The gaming friendly. And then yeah, also it's like, okay, I guess Ben Schwartz, he likes video games because of Sonic. Yep. Like there's just mm-hmm. that handful that have become known for that. It is a weird thing. Um, but uh, it seems like a lot of sites got the Xbox Series X, got the PlayStation 5. A lot of sites are under uh, wacky embargoes and it's very fun trying to figure out like what they can and can't yeah. say because like I don't know if you've been watching Giant Bomb stuff serial but they uh, got a PlayStation 5 but they're very big into leaning in the absurdity of the fact that they can talk about Astro Bot 
Astro's Playroom, I'm sorry, but only this one level in particular. So it's like, okay, the mm. Cooling Springs level of Astrobot really represents that it's a pretty good game. Um, but it's been fun hearing reactions to the DualSense controller. Like, have you checked it out at all, Serial? Have you read anything, heard anything? I saw the the weirdest Easter egg that it's like textured, right? And it's like these yeah. very, very small yeah. like PlayStation symbols that are basically lining the controller that yeah. basically make the grip, right? Right, yeah, it is a weird thing that you wouldn't see from the wide shots, but uh, but I mean, all the impressions I've seen are glowing. People say that it's wild that the haptic feedback isn't just a stupid gimmick, but it feels so strange and unnatural. Like Jeff and they talk about like in uh, Astro's Playroom, like walking around on a beach or like a blast of sand will hit you and it'll feel like a blast of sand is hitting your hands as you're mm. holding the controller seems so strange i really want to see what it actually feels like here cool. um we had somebody write in early oh uh dunder wrote in let's just get right to a community question asking with the uh ps5 unboxing embargo lifting this week many positive words have been said about the dual sense controller features that being said i'm a little bit skeptical five years from now do you think the use of haptic feedback and adaptive triggers will be widely adopted by third-party developers or will it be mostly forgotten as similar features were with the xbox one the classic question. Yeah, I can see that being a, a mostly like first party Sony thing where they're like, well, we don't have to develop it for any other standards. So we can kind of go full hog on like whatever the controller can do versus, you know, uh, Ubisoft who's like, yeah, I guess if it, ha if it has uh, haptic, you can do this bonus thing, but it's not going to be an intrinsic part of the game that we're really selling you. Yeah, I, I think we've just been burned twice recently with you know the hd rumble of the switch where it's like hey count the ice cubes over and over and over again inside your controller uh and then also you know the xbox one that was such a big push it's like oh my god just the different different feeling rumble uh the racing games and i feel like it's never really been a selling point beyond that so i'm curious to see if this is big enough of a leap that people will be really leaning into it in a big way five years from now. Yeah, it, it's interesting to hear that actual reviewers are calling out those things because yeah. I, I feel like those things were definitely marketing things for, you know, the Xbox and Nintendo. And when it came out, the, the kind of consensus was, yeah, this is kind of interesting and you can kind of feel it, but it, it was never... It, this sounds a lot more enthusiastic about what it's bringing to the table. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, there's other PlayStation 5 news. Um, quick stuff. Uh, they have the adapter, so you can use the PSVR camera on PS5. It seems like it's like a free upgrade, but you have to sign up for this whole thing to try and make uh, the PSVR work, which is an interesting note just for them continuing the existence of PSVR, but not leaning into it right now. Um, and then there was PlayStation Plus news, which was interesting. So first of all, Destruction All-Stars, which was the $70 destruction game that was a little bit Twisted Metal, where you can get out of the car, is an interesting-looking game. Um, that is now delayed to February, and it's going to be the PS Plus game in February, which is a pretty bold move. Like, I feel like that was the discussion when they revealed it. A lot of people were seeing that and being like, eh, this looks like a PS Plus game. So for them just to delay it and say, yes, and now you'll get it for free on PS Plus, well, for free, relative terms, uh, I think is pretty crazy. And then combined with the fact that uh, they announced that on PlayStation 5 only... Bug Snacks is going to be the PS Plus game. Uh, so you can play Bug Snacks for free, well, if you have the PS Plus subscription, uh, right at launch, which is cool, but also just feels like them really having to compete with Game Pass, where they know this is their competition. They really got to throw some games out there at a discount. 
Uh, I'm kind of curious. I think now that it's on PlayStation Plus, I might check out the the one that's launching in February, Destruction All Stars. Yeah, it's because that that feels like appropriate for what that game is. You know, you need a, an online community to for those games to really shine, and like it's a really good idea for them to have done that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm also very curious as to how many games because there's also like that that whole swath of like PlayStation Five games that are PlayStation Four games upgraded. Right, that they announced right. during their conference, right? So that's that's a ton of stuff that PS5 people are going to be able to start with. I mean, yeah, it's wow. So the PS Plus collection, it's worth running down this list. So you will have this on PS5, all these PS4 games to play. Some of them are enhanced for the PS5, like uh, God of War here. But okay, here's the full list of games you'll have in the PS Plus collection. Bloodborne, Days Gone, Detroit Become Human, God of War, Infamous Second Son, Ratchet and Clank, Last Guardian, Last of Us Remastered, Until Dawn, Uncharted 4, Batman Arkham Knight, Battlefield 1, Call of Duty Black Ops, uh, yeah, Black Ops 3, Crash Bandicoot, Insane Trilogy, Fallout 4, Final Fantasy 15, Royal Edition, Monster Hunter World, Mortal Kombat 10, Persona 5, and Resident Evil 7. That's a crazy lineup. Like, I understand yeah. there's going to be a, a lot of games. Yeah. It, oh my God. It's going to be so games. much to go through. I mean, that's yeah. going to be the first couple years. I feel like on PlayStation five is every time there's a lull, you'd be like, well, I'll go back and I'll play last guardian again. Or I've always been meaning to finish infamous second son, like and playing that on a PS five with some enhanced versions here and there, I think is a really awesome move. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, it does feel like they're slowly forming this ad hoc version of Game Pass where it's like, well, it's not this it doesn't work the same way. It's not a subscription that you keep it. It's like they're only available for however long. But it, they are I think they are very much looking at Game Pass and thinking like, well, how can we do something like that? Yeah, and this is they're kind of, you know, taking from here and there to try to build something that is like that maybe while they're waiting to launch their own service like it. It's interesting because obviously they don't want to throw, you know, like their newest games on there, like, you know, the next Naughty Dog game or whatever. They're not, or even Last of Us Part Two. they don't want to yeah. add immediately to there. But their back catalog has such highly rated games, you know, like a, a lot of those are just straight up masterpieces yeah. that they can they can kind of get get past that as opposed to usually when it's like, well, this game was three years old. It's like, well, yeah, but... I'll I'll still play that again. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I just Monster Hunter World, like there's so many oddities on here that I think is going to find a whole new audience here for people ready to jump into. So it's it's getting wild with both Sony and Microsoft trying to lure you in with all of these insane deals at this point. Um, on the Xbox front, uh, they showed off a new video that's called the Xbox Series X Experience, just showing off the UI a little bit more, booting up Dirt 5, stuff like that. It was cool to see kind of the slow walk through the UI and just that real experience of what it's going to look like out on the ground. Um, and Jason Ronald from Team Xbox, uh, he tweeted out and said, after 500 thousand hours of testing we're excited to share that all xbox 360 and xbox one games playable on xbox one today except for the handful that require connect will be available and look better on xbox series x slash s at launch so compared to sony's 99.9 percent compatibility for you know ps4 games it's amazing that the xbox team is like yep nope everything except for connect it's good to go which is awesome. well I, it's it's I misread the tweet and thought that like every 360 Xbox game is specifically the ones that are been. already backwards with that. You're so right. no justice for Bionic Commando Rearm 2, but this is as close as you can get otherwise. Yeah, and I haven't checked to see if Driver San Francisco is in that list, but I pray to God that it is. Uh, also, big news uh, this week, Cyberpunk. The game that has gone gold and we're all looking forward to maybe planning some coverage around here at MinMax. Um 
They decided uh, not so much. Uh, the game is now delayed till December 10th. Crazy. Uh, Sturio, what was your reaction to that one? Uh, I guess yeah, the month feels very strange. I um, They mentioned that it's like, oh, the, the game is done. We're just kind of optimizing. Yeah. Uh, and that they mentioned, I think there was a report around that same time that it's like it's mostly to make sure the the current gen versions of the game run well uh whereas it seems like they're having troubles with that and they said like hey like the the, the next gen versions and the pc version are fine we're maybe just kind of tuning up the current gen versions to make sure that they're not you know completely busted yeah so here's the quote it's from a conference call uh where the ceo he says um the game for PC is ready and plays well on next-gen consoles, and the company is finalizing the process concerning current-gen consoles, which is one of those like red flags that eh, this current-gen version might be a little rough uh, based on this wording. So brace yourself, everybody. But if you're going to be playing on next-gen, once that upgrade comes around, or PC, it's going to be probably in a decent shape here. Um, but yeah, this is... The game has been delayed a bunch. So originally it was April 16th, if you recall, then September 17th, then November 19th, now December 10th. Um, it kind of ripped off the Band-Aid. A lot more folks are talking about uh, crunch uh, in the industry again, uh, since this was connected to the last time, well, the last messaging round of like, hey, we need mandatory crunch to finish this game off because we have to hit this deadline of November 19th. There's no wiggle room. And it turns out there was wiggle room, and now the developers are going to be stretched a little bit more. Going, Yeah, and also I think I remember seeing, I think it was Jason Schreier mentioned that... Uh, they developers found out when we did and that that was just like an announcement you know that was made basically without their knowledge and i oh, think really? there was also the uh, someone had interacted with the cyberpunk account saying like hey i i'm before i take work off to play the, the crap out of this game at launch i just need you to confirm to me that the game is coming out then and then they're like oh yeah no delays and this was like the day before this announcement was made yeah, yeah it seemed like there was some miscommunication on, uh, across the company uh before this oh boy coming in hot uh in the tweet and uh, the big message i think it's interesting talking about the going gold thing because i don't know if a game has ever gone gold and then been delayed this might be a first for the game industry yeah uh, but they say some of you might be wondering what uh these words mean in light of us saying we achieved gold master some time ago passing certification or going gold means the game is ready can be completed and has all the content in it but it doesn't mean we stop working on it and raising the quality bar. On the contrary, this is the time where many improvements are being made, which will then be distributed via a day zero patch. This is the time period we undercalculated. So it is running on current gen, but there's still so much optimization they can do. It does make me wonder, though, like what's going into that day zero patch? Because there's just been so much talk on the day zero patch, and I wonder if we're going to see more people investigate, like look into like, okay, what, what the heck is does that mean you know like how much work is that um and it is i don't know like looking at the list of all the places that they have to get the game ready for i'm like i do not envy you like you need to get this game ready for google stadia like which yeah they said they weren't going to and now they said they were and so i can't imagine we can fully blame stadia in the situation but but you talk about like the difference with that day zero patch i think it's gonna be really fascinating because unless they would require an online connection which i doubt c project would do like you should be able to buy this game on disc and not update it on PS4 and Xbox one and kind of see how yeah. rough it is compared to what they're, what they've been working on in this window since it already went gold. Yeah. And, and also as a, as someone who reviews games, it, 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 it does strike me as like, I can already see the hill of like, well, here's the code for this game, but it's not going to have the, all these improvements 
and like whether or not they're going to have like, well, the embargo is for whenever this code comes up or like, please delay coverage or whatever. I can see that being a, a, a very specific kind of inside baseball mess on that end as well. Yeah. Uh, if you want to uh, believe what they're saying, at least in the conference call, they talk about like the quality of the game. And they say, we are really sure we have something amazing in our hands. And once the game is released, everyone will understand why it was so difficult. Don't get us wrong. We're kind of internally stressed on the one hand, but on the other, we feel very strong about the game. and We're super happy with what we'll deliver. Those who've completed the game say they've never played a game like this before and that the feedback gives them a lot of confidence. So, yeah, uh, hats out to developers, hearts out to developers. Uh, they're working their ass off, but uh, thank you out there. And uh, hopefully people can stretch out these time frames a little bit more in the future. I mean, they definitely, I think I did see like some small wave overview of, of like, okay, well, this kind of clears up my schedule a little bit. So now I can prioritize other games. Uh, around oh, that yeah. period because it's not it's not like there's nothing coming out around that time um but if you're not next gen it's maybe a little bit more uh barren yeah uh let's see we have oh adam cohen wrote in just to pop another community question here saying does the cyberpunk delay take out of contention for game of the year awards i seem to remember that happening to jedi fallen order last year because it came out too late is it gonna have to compete for the 2021 game of the year it is for the jeff Keeley stuff uh for min max i think we'll be able to squeeze it in but it'll probably be a case of we'll be arguing about it having just put like 20 hours in or something like that right like what do you think jeff um yeah i mean that's that's tough and i think it is easier for us because we can go from literally playing it and walk into our you know recording rooms and then talk about it i i I, my heart goes out to all of our old colleagues at game informer because oh my god i i don't even i don't even know if they can try and get it into that issue yeah. i bet they wouldn't yeah in which case they come up next year because i think that they're i don't think the history history is usually kind to those kinds of games where it's like you know smash brothers yeah. uh, ultimate of like well this could this would be in contention but it's like none of us have played it and we're not going to talk about this next year most likely so it's always in that trap but i it, this does feel like this is maybe the biggest game that has fallen into that uh, kind of space, so I, I, I it'll yeah. be interesting to see how outlets handle this because it feels like no, you can't just not talk about this game at this point. That's true. But I think from a PR perspective, there's a case to be made to delay it further. So it's like very clearly a 2020. I get why you'd want it to be before the holiday season because you want it yeah. to be bought as a gift. But then as far as like press and media coverage goes, it's just such a uncomfortable time. Well, that and I think even delaying it until the point that the new gen version is ready to go because I don't think they've given a date in 2021 for when the actual PS5 and Series X version is going to be coming out but that would make sense to me and maybe that's enough of like another um, you know kind of pillar in the gap there Serial where like maybe enough people will be waiting to play the official PS5 and Series X version that it won't feel wildly out of date by the game of the year stuff next year year, but it's going to be a mess for sure um oh also on the developer front uh somebody from cd project red i'm sorry i forget the name exactly but he tweeted out what seems all too common now where he's talking about the amount of death threats that the team has received and they're like hey we're human here uh we're working on this game please don't don't blame us like that's coming off of the death threats for insomniac because they changed peter parker's face it's just Hey, internet, cool Sucks. every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so unfortunate. There's a pandemic too. Like they're doing this <laughs> during a pandemic. Right. They're working like ridiculous. Everybody's hours. working from home. Yeah. 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 Um, hey, in lighter news, Sergio Vasquez, you've been playing the Doom Eternal DLC, The Ancient Gods. Yeah, lighter's a strong term. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, it's 
it it is is definitely like a throwback to the old like ex- idea of an expansion of just what if we just made the game but more intricate and harder because uh, that's basically what this game does you know like it, it there's no real like okay let's make sure you're back in the groove this feels like someone is like driving a block down from you at 50 miles an hour saying get in and then you have to jump in through the windshield that that is how this dlc starts is effectively like your first few encounters are like you could be lifted directly from the end of the base game is in how they're throwing all these different enemies at you so and then it only goes ass. up from there oh my god is it destroying you yeah, it's it's definitely like a league harder than than the base game for sure. Uh, I like, I think in some ways that are actually kind of inconsistent in that I think I haven't toggled the difficulty on a game as often as I have with this, because uh, so I started on ultra violence, which is like the second highest difficulty you can play from the start, because uh, that's what I played the base game on. And after a while, like the, the the encounters were taking me so long and the levels were taking me so long that I said, okay, I'll bump it down. But it's like different parts of the game are way harder than other parts. So like there are these secret encounters, you know, in the base game that where you can find these like kind of hidden things where you have to kill enemies in a certain set of time. And there are these other hidden encounters where it's like you go into a different level, basically, and you have to survive against the uh, against like a bunch of enemies. Right. And in the base game, those were the hardest parts Uh, in this game. They're like by far the easiest, Uh, whereas the regular encounters are much, much harder now so like it feels like depending on what i'm about to do i will change the difficulty uh which is not something that i've done for a lot for most games yeah that's fine there's no shame in yeah. that serial yeah well, well like usually i'm like you know i have that weird ego thing of like well i like i want to be able to say that i beat this game on like whatever difficulty i'm playing at but yeah so I, like it is in the second level that kind of broke me of that notion because yeah like they they introduced three new enemies as far as I've, i'm almost done with the last level it's three levels uh they're all pretty long it's about six seven hours uh the the dlc is and they introduced three new enemies one of them is like this kind of this eyeball turret that you kind of have to wait for it to pop up and then sh- basically snipe the one the last one they introduce is like this demon like kind of it feels like a hybrid between an e- a demon and an angel and that it's kind of flying around with like very celestial wings it's got this invulnerable shield and when it does its attack it kind of drops its guard and that's when you shoot it and both of those feel kind of like okay they're just kind of there they don't really change the flow of combat very much they're kind of easy to forget but like the the, the by far the hardest thing in this game now are these spirits and th- all they do is they effectively possess another enemy on the field and make them like way way stronger uh, uh, Jeff, I think you're the one who's probably played the most uh, of Doom Eternal. And if you remember, uh, there are these like enemy, like these really bulky enemies with like claws for hands, basically, like these swords coming out of their hands, and they're like these big giant buffs dudes. And when the spirit possessed one of them, I fired like two BFG shots, and it didn't kill it. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have to expend a ton of ammo, and then what you have to after you kill the enemy, the ghost comes out of it, and what you have to do is you basically have to ghost bust it. So you have to switch to the plasma rifle, switch to the mod that turns it into a microwave beam, and kind of like basically Ghostbuster for a while. So it, like you're basically trying to capture and, it. And then Luigi shows up, right? Mm-hmm. That's like, right. And he's scared of the giant spirit because I'm scared because these things are hard to kill. Uh, but if you don't kill it, it'll go possess another enemy, which is like again bad and makes the encounters much harder. Uh, so those like those are the points where um, I'm turning the difficulty down because it just feels so oppressive because by the end of most encounters, like that's the last enemy I've left. It is taking like multiple runs of ammo just to get rid of these things. 
And they're also like introducing a lot of things that they that would have been unheard of in encounters. So like they'll introduce like the Marauder, who is like the the shielded enemy that is like they usually don't mix that enemy with other enemies because you have to approach them so differently. And so they're like, no, yeah, here's a Marauder, here's a Tyrant, and like here's a possessed uh, demon. Both of which would all individually say, no, this is your highest priority. You have to kill this thing now. And so they're really stressing like, okay, how do I prioritize these three like unstoppable threats at this point? Um, Serial. And so that has, Serial. Yeah. Are you enjoying yeah. it? Yes. I think that once I kind of uh, realized that, you know, I can't, I, I shouldn't be so precious about difficulty stuff. I was enjoying it, but there was early on this really kind of um, frustration with like, okay, how long these encounters are going for, yeah. how, how much tougher they are. But I think it, I don't think it's essential. Like, I don't think if you've kind of, if you're kind of okay with the amount of Doom you played, I don't think you have to play it. But if you're kind of the person who's already memorized all the encounters in 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 like the base game, then this is definitely for you. But yeah. I don't think it's like you don't have to come back for Doom for this. Jeff, what's your what's your take on Doom Eternal? Now it feels like a lifetime ago that game released. I mean, did you enjoy it that much where you'd want to play more? Um, I would want if I want to play more, I would play more of Doom Eternal because I didn't finish it. Yeah, so. I would be yeah. going back to that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. And I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed what I played I remember, of Doom yeah. Eternal, but it, it was very much kind of already felt like DLC to the original reboot of Doom. Like it, it was, it was more of that thing that I really enjoyed, and so I still enjoyed it quite a bit. But I'm, I'm kind of getting diminishing returns. Sure. Yeah, and, and for what it's worth, I think the the best part of the DLC is kind of it as a reminder of like, oh, the combat loop in, in Doom Eternal is actually like fantastic still. Yeah. It's yeah. just that this specific version of it, I don't think is like a must play. It's like, yeah, I, Jeff, and you're probably totally fine with just going back to the base game at this point. Yeah. Uh, hey, I don't know if you all noticed, but it's downright scary out there. It's a real spooky week, everybody. I don't know. Anna, do you want to try a transition? I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Take it away. Speaking of Doom. Oh, that's good. Yeah, go, go, go. Speaking of Doom, it's Halloween. <laughs> there we go. Well, I thought you were queuing up the election. Oh, <laughs> I know, I know. Which is scary. I, I wanted to go for it. I wanted to I go did. for it, but I wasn't sure if, if it was allowed. <laughs> we would mute your mic. Uh, but the point is, everybody, we have, hey, speaking of election, we have, <laughs> we have the community in the Discord rank the top 10 horror games of all time by voting, which is very important to do. Uh, mm -hmm. So everybody in the Discord uh, compiled a list of their favorite horror games, and then they set up a whole system thanks to the mods. This is the official MinMax community ranking from the Discord, which you can access to if you support us at any tier on Patreon. Are you all ready to run this sucker down? All right. Ready. Number 10. Ladies and gentlemen, a little game. Well, hang on. Should, do you want to run this down or do you want to try and guess what's on here? What's more fun? Did you do it I, in a voice? Uh, yeah, I could. That's do, it in, do it in a spooky voice. If, oh, if okay. we guess, we're going to just guess games and you're going to be like, maybe we'll see that later and we'll blow all the surprises that are you're coming. You're right. Okay, here we go. Um, ooh, how about this one? How about every number is a different spooky voice, like a different monster? So you all come up with the spooky voice to prompt me, and then I'll read the game name in that uh -huh. voice. Okay, so what's number 10? Give me a, give me a monster. Count Chocula. Okay. 
Number 10, Amnesia, The Dark Descent. Oh, this is going to get old fast. <laughs> I already forget that, forget that. Uh, amnesia, Dark Descent. Serial, you're a big Amnesia boy. You like that? Yeah, I think that that works. I think the... I, I don't remember what the name is, but like the, the, the invisible enemy that walks on the water is still like a standout set, horror set piece. Ooh, hang uh, on. I haven't played this game. Can you... Is it too much of a spoiler to talk about the way this enemy no, interacts? It's pretty early on. So it's uh, you enter like the, the water level in this game is you're kind of basically, which is weird, you're playing the floor is lava where you can't go in the water. Otherwise, this thing hears you and it's invisible. Uh, but the way you see it is that you just hear splashes in the water. That's so good. Uh, so you can't see it. So you're all, but there are a bunch of puzzles where you have to go into the water to like flip a switch or something. Oh, so you have to like awesome. get in, get out, and then you're hopping along these boxes. So I think that's still like, that is still one of like the best horror set pieces. And yeah, that game is consistently like yeah. pretty scary. So, all right, number nine. Um, this is where the definition of a horror game gets tricky, but I guess. Number nine, according to the community. If it's Shadow of the Colossus, I swear. Number nine through seven is Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, all, okay. all different versions Slash of platform. it. Yeah. Uh, no, Inside, number nine. Oh. Huh. Legit? I mean, it's Scary? disturbing. It's disturbing and, and unsettling for sure. I don't know if it's a horror game. There are those little Samara kind of little girls on there, the water, and those are pretty scary oh, to be sure. Oh, God. I think a horror game in my mind is, I'm a complete coward. I think Anna's with me. And a horror game is one that I would hesitate to play by myself. And I, I yeah. think I'd be fine playing inside by myself. Yeah. But. Yeah. And also jump scares aren't necessarily horror either. Like, if you, have, you know, like stuff like that. Cause I played this other game called Stella that's very similar, like inspired to by inside and similar, like creepy and, and it made me jump, but definitely not horror, but maybe, maybe I need to get over my idea of horror. I always think first person too, you know? Yeah. What do you yeah. think about? I, I guess that's more like thematically horror. As mm-hmm. I, I think we usually think of it as a genre as mm-hmm. opposed to a theme, like mm-hmm. it is right. you know, for movies and stuff. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Survival horror. I guess is what we're going off of there. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, number eight. This is a doozy. Uh, scariest game I've ever played. Uh, Fatal Frame Two. Uh, fantastic, fantastic game. Number seven. Resident Evil One Remake. So the mm. GameCube game, which is. Also ported. It's on current gen now, right, Serial? The yeah, remaster it's the, of the HD remake? version. Yeah. Um, yeah. Number six, Alien Isolation. That's mm, high okay. for Alien Isolation. That is still I do a like, crowd pleaser. I do like that game quite a bit. Yeah. I think the scariest part is how long it is. Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> a little too long, but Horror, I think but... They, they do do a really good job of making the alien feel like an alien and that you are you are not going to fight it for most of that game. So. Yeah. Uh, number five, Dead Space. Just some good old vanilla dead space. Nothing better. Too uh, scary. It's true. Number four. This is the most surprising one, maybe. Resident Evil 7. Clawed up to number four. Isn't that impressive? Do you think it's like yeah. the VR aspect? I don't. Our community likes VR, but that seems surprisingly high. But hey. Or just first person in general. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah. yeah. I well, think that game, yeah, it feels appropriate because I think you you eventually do end up getting to the resident evil point where it's like, Oh, I have a machine gun and I'm basically shot gunning all these enemies down towards the end. But yeah, those first two areas, they managed to kind of temper that kind of curve a lot better than, uh, you would have expected. It's true. Uh, number three, resident evil two, the remake. There we go. Number two, silent hill two. 
That's awesome to see that one still mm. so high up there. Mm. Uh, Approved. Oh, really? Serial, I know you're a big fan of the remake of One, right? One. Shattered Memories. Yeah. Uh, but Silent Hill 2, you, you got to give I it like, up. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm, I feel like I'm in the minority in that I like 3 more than 2. Oh, wow. But 2 is definitely like one of the, like that, those classic games I think are really good about never getting to that Resident Evil point where you're never just like, oh, I have whatever I need to take these things down. I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. Uh, those, those games managed to keep that curve pretty in line. Uh, and then number one, somebody want to guess it? It's a real uh, underdog story. <laughs> PT. PT is the number one horror really? game of all time. Isn't that amazing? Like, I liked PT when it came out. I, I'm down with PT from the beginning, but there's a part of me that's a little bit contrarian at this point where it's like, it's not better than Resident Evil 2 Remake. Come on, what are we doing here? Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's got to, like, the legacy of it is playing a lot into that, right? I think so. Because it's like, the, it's like the game that we never really got the whole game. And somehow that makes it scarier because it's like this weird fragment that is lost in the ether and you won't be able to play on your PlayStation 5. It's, it's fleeting. It's beautiful. Yeah. But, uh, that said, I, I do. I still really like that game. I, yeah. I, I I'm planning to play it again this year uh, for Halloween, and I played it. I think the, the at the last Extra Life, I think I played through most of the way uh, that game, and I still really like a lot of what that game does and how it it isn't just like you know find the key, put it over here, where which is a, what a lot of horror games do. And I know a lot of people um, dislike the final puzzle, and I get it. I, it's like overly obtuse, but yeah. I kind of like that it was this communal mystery for a while of that felt very uh, mysterious in a way that a lot of horror games aren't where it's like you need to have a knowable solution to every problem i like that there was a period of like i legitimately don't know what to do um and having people like okay well i heard if you'd like you know yell jareth into the microphone it does this or like you have to turn around and walk five steps that felt very in line with like ghost stories of like you know, saying Bloody Mary three times in a minute. Yeah, mirror, right? you're right. You're right. It is amazing how that syncs up. Uh, so yeah, hopefully if you're looking for something spooky to play uh, this year, one of those games will scratch an itch for you. Do you think, um, kind of getting back into that genre versus concept of horror thing, is there an argument to be made that Among Us could be considered a horror game? Uh, I mean, it's interesting because like I wrote a story for Polygon on this because there are a bunch of, fic- like a bunch of writers are, writing like space horror inspired by it. Oh, okay. Um, and so it's inspiring like a lot of like actual horror, but it is like a very comical game too. And like, that's right. also being funny. That makes me hesitate to classify it as horror. Yeah. We yeah. talked about it in uh, the deepest dive on the thing, which by the way is live on YouTube and in the Patreon exclusive podcast feed. Uh, we just covered the 1982 film and had a wonderful time. Uh, Kate Sanchez from, but why though joined us and just annihilated it. She did such a good job. Um, but we talked about, you know, how we'd like to see more versions of the thing moving into the future. And I brought up the idea. Now I can't stop thinking about it, that they're going to license among us for a TV show within the next five years. Right. And it's just mm-hmm. going to be like an ongoing The Thing style. That already exists, Hanson. It's called Teletubbies. It's <laughs> from the look of Teletubbies? One of them is an imposter? Is that? <laughs> the son's trying to yeah. find the imposter. I get it. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's smart take. You're right. Um, um, <laughs> did you have another point? <laughs> no, I didn't have anything else to say other than that people, <laughs> like, people have been drawing the Among Us characters as, like, anime characters. Like, people really want, like, a space horror anime oh, really? inspired by Among Us. Yeah. But, what a weird year for just 
dopey characters like the among us characters the fall guys characters for like inspiring this community and then people try and make these adult versions of them is so weird beans had a big moment in yeah. video games great year for beans no good year for it. beans thinking about those beans all year <laughs> uh hey jeff um do you want to take a little break and then come back later for community questions sure that makes total sense all right give us a clap please Kyle Hilliard, welcome to the podcast, sir. Hi, I'm here often. Oh, it's so nice to have you here. Um, We need to talk about more spooky things. We cannot stop. And you insisted on talking about a game that uh, released last year in a new iteration that fewer people will play, the Blair Witch game on Oculus? Yeah, no, I I just want to talk about it briefly. I'm playing it right now. Um, I, I think it's just a really good fit for vr and in turn a really good fit for a quest because that's what i'm playing it on because it's a lot of just creepy walking through the woods which is like good stuff for vr and then you have a a dog companion with you and it's awesome to just have that limitation of the the game is like walking through spooky woods with a dog that you can interact with you can pet it you can feed it treats and stuff like that and it's like it's just i think it's just really smart for vr like being able to interact with a dog in vr is super fun and to connect it to this scary just like borderline walking simulator which i don't use derogatively like i think is cool and i like it yeah i mean do you just want nintendogs in vr because i remember that game came out and was like somewhere around sevens for everybody yeah like i think i i think vr is like a better platform for it and it's not yeah. like it's not that i want Nintendogs necessarily. I I just think it's like interacting with an animal in VR is cool. You know what I mean? And like because it's kind of a stripped down game, even on console, it wasn't that complicated. It was just you're walking down a path. That's yeah. just that really works well for VR. The one the one negative thing I say is like the the graphical downgrade is is pretty substantial. Oh yeah. You know, like which is expected, but it's even a little like lower than I would want. But I just wanted to share that I think it works well on Quest. I think it's yeah. a good Quest game, and I'm I'm and I'm and I'm getting sufficiently creeped out by it things are jumping starting to jump out at me a lot i'm having a good time and when every time that happens you're like ah that's sufficient (laughs) yes Yes, tree creature that came out of nowhere i am sufficiently spooked now i'm in the mood for not trick-or-treating i don't know how you celebrate halloween this year it's a weird one um uh hey speaking of nintendogs uh this morning uh nintendo revealed of course the nintendo direct mini partner showcase there because why not yes they're <laughs> there, there wasn't anything print. going on yes i think they <laughs> so saw they the want other to get consoles. ahead of the election you know? yeah exactly right this other the consoles getting out there swinging and they're like oh yeah well bravely default 2 now has a release date yeah <laughs> Um, Guess what? MP4 just finished uploading. <laughs> <laughs> no, they had some interesting announcements. Uh, on the small end of the spectrum, part-time UFO from How Laboratories, the Kirby Studio, uh, that is now on Switch. It was on iOS before, and Kyle, I think we both played it on iOS. It's a cool little charming Nintendo game that felt like an oddity on iOS. So it's cool that it's actually released here on the Switch. Yeah, how how laboratory self published on iOS yeah, and now that's this, right. it's weird the eShop version if you go to the site for the game yeah. doesn't list a developer lists Nintendo exclusively as the publisher but then in the legalese you can find how laboratory hmm. so it's weird but I I want to check it out just cuz you can play with a controller now as opposed to a touchscreen which yeah. is exciting yeah, there's co-op nice. too which is cool yeah also uh no more heroes news uh for Surreal, just for you buddy what'd you learn uh they are releasing the first two No More Hero games on... Well, they released the first two No More Hero games on Switch uh, for 20 bucks a piece, but I think they have like a launch discount going on right now. And they showed a trailer for No More Heroes 3, which 
it, it doesn't have a ton of like new explicit info, but it showed off the game for the first time for real because there was that trailer a while ago that um, they had gameplay going on in the background, but I think Suda was in front of it talking to you about like other stuff, and it was meant to be this whole joke. But right. uh, it seems it looks okay. I I think you can even in that trailer you saw that there was some like uh, resolution kind of you can kind of tell that it's 1080p and not anything higher. Um, but I kind of dig the art style. It seems like they're going crazy on that front. And, you know, there's, they kind of confirmed that they're abandoning the, um, the kind of rank to the top, uh, kind of approach that the first two games had in favor of just like, yeah, it's all, you're just fighting basically superheroes instead of trying to work your way up through the UAA. Um, but I'm curious to see how those switch versions of the game play. Uh, cause you don't really need the, on the Wii, you didn't really need the point the pointing parts of the Wii. Yeah. So it seems like it would work just fine, but I'm curious to see what the controls are for those. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, speaking of curious about the switch version, uh, they announced the cloud version of Hitman three is coming. So it's going to be streaming from the cloud onto your switch when Hitman three comes out. And then also out now is a cloud version, a streaming version on the Nintendo switch of control. One of our favorite games from last year, I am so curious about this because like, they've been doing it in Japan years ago. They had Resident Evil 7. I think Monster Hunter World was able to stream to the Switch. But the idea of these two bundled now, I wonder if this is just a sign of things to come for the Switch where companies are just going to be wanting to create more streaming versions like this. Kyle? I don't know. I, I want to try it and it's free to try, which is nice. Yeah. And, and smart. Uh, but yeah, supposedly, according to Remedy, it'll run at 60 FPS with HDR and all kinds or some crazy lighting and stuff like that. So I, I want to, I want to try it if, if nothing else, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I heard that there was a version of the game that you could run it at 30 with ray tracing stuff on instead yeah, of ray tracing. That's the, I said HDR, but yeah, ray tracing. Okay. Stuff. Cause I guess if it's all just streaming in, I guess go nuts with that thing. But I'm so curious to see how many people will play that version. And if more and more companies will just port their things to the switch this way instead of trying to make it natively run on hardware that is aging faster every day um did you guys notice that behind me by the way for the video version that oh that, that the sun exploded behind that the you? sun exploded behind me these lights are Supernova. spooky and weird and they just like kick into overdrive at times i'm gonna go turn it off and hope there's nothing spooky they're, going on they're haunted here. it's halloween it's halloween do you yeah. think a year from now nintendo will have more success with uh with streaming solutions than stadia will Yes. Ooh. Yeah, probably. Right? Because, because the thing is, is like, there's no barrier. Because like, if someone wants to play Control on Switch, they just buy it and they don't even think about it. A lot of the, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who buy Control and Hitman on Switch who probably don't know it's streaming, you know? Yeah. Ooh, that's interesting. I'm sure it's in there. I mean, they are big oh, on it calling is. it, it the, cloud the cloud version. Yeah. But I just mean like, you know, not to like call, you know, I mean... People know what they're doing, but like, you know, just a, a very casual consumer is like, oh, that got a bunch of Game of the Year awards. I'll check that out. Right. Like they might not even ever know that it's a streaming thing, you know, until they try to go somewhere with less than optimal Wi-Fi or yeah. not have their switch plugged in. But yes, I, I'm very curious about that stuff. Um, also, probably the biggest news uh, from the Nintendo Direct Mini is that they released the Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity demo, which is the opening chapter of the game. Is that the way they phrase it? I believe so. Yeah, which in, I guess covers at, we, at least two levels. I think Hanson, you and I are two levels in, I think. Yeah. Right? Did anybody else get a chance to play this thing? No, but I've been replaying Hyrule Warriors uh, a little bit. Oh, really? Uh, 
in the lead up to Ooh. the new one. So I, I can ma- I, I will understand what you're talking about when you mention <laughs> things. <laughs> so Perfect. this is, I guess we'll say, because it is the save moves forward. So like there are, I guess you could say spoilers for the beginning of the game because yeah. you're basically playing the beginning of the game. So just a heads up if you really don't want to know anything till release day. But, um... Serial, does the game start? Hyrule Warriors starts with like you're just Link, you're just a random soldier, but then by, at the they're end, Link, yeah. they point to you and you're like, oh, you're special, right? Yeah, you look like that's, that guy. That's basically exactly what happens here. Like you're supposedly Link, just oh, random soldier, and then at the end of the first level, they're like, oh, wait, this guy, he really did a lot, and we're gonna make him Zelda's bodyguard, which I thought was interesting that it's like very parallel to Hyrule mm-hmm. Warriors. Yeah, just for zooming out, this is the Dynasty Warriors Zelda game that is a prequel to Breath of the Wild, set 100 years before Breath of the Wild. Um, Kyle, this is a lot better than I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> this is, I Dude, thought it was really cool. Same. I mean, I had I had high expectations, and I like they're already kind of being exceeded. Like, yeah. I, I was surprised. It it the story stuff like throws you for a loop right out of the gate. It's a, that little that little guardian who's on the cover art. It's just is a, it's BB-8. Just call it BB-8. BB-8 yeah. is a time traveling robot. Like the game, <laughs> the opening cutscene of the game starts with basically the moment that Link was put to sleep. Like when Zelda like used all her power to try to and link gets knocked out that's where the game starts and it starts with bb8 waking up uh, inside of zelda's room in hyrule castle and creating a time portal and jumping through it which <laughs> now i'm like i'm like man have they updated breath of the wild where you can go into zelda's room is bb8 like in there like in a box or something that'd Ooh, be wild that'd be interesting but uh yeah I, that immediately i was like well this is not what i expected i thought it was just like a prequel i didn't realize we were messing with space-time continuums here <laughs> and like the little guardian thing like it sings a song to open the part portal so it's a little bit of ocarina in there too i mean yeah. it's still the gameplay is still pretty dynasty warriors but i played you know a couple hours of hyrule warriors back on the wii u uh and i thought it was a fine time but maybe it's just i'm more nostalgic over breath of the wild specifically than zelda in general which i know is probably counterintuitive for a lot of folks but just jumping into this world again it's like oh my god just hearing the item pickup noise sound effects in particular it's like this is shockingly breath of the wild here yeah even just the ui because i watched the the demo that they yeah. showed off a little while ago and just like seeing the same prompts you know like the the way the in- inventory system isn't like that different from hyrule warriors but it's just presented in breath of the wild's interface i was like yeah you know what that game was really good yeah uh, and if if th- that and that alone might trick me into thinking this game is better than it otherwise would be because I, oh, I, yeah. I played through about half of hyrule warriors and i was like okay i think i got it i don't think idea. i need uh, to play any more of this stuff, but I mean, uh, there's there's no denying that it's like a huge factor of just like feeling like you're playing a new Breath of the Wild. Like it's you're not. Like I don't want to. That's like a too tall a mountain to climb. Course, but like yeah. it feels like it just with the sound and the visuals, and you are in that world again. And it's like it's exciting to just be there again. And you know? it's so weird to have like oh the map opens up and oh it is just the map from Breath of the Wild except. It's not just showing you where you can go. It's basically how you're selecting missions. And the weird thing, too, is like, okay, here's a little cooking pot. If you have enough ingredients, you can cook in this area of the map technically, but it's not like a new interface. It'll just like have the cooking sound effects and then, all right, job done. You cooked in this area. Now on to the next mission where you're going to kill hundreds of bokoblins and all that stuff. But it's so funny, like thinking about how amazing Link is here, where you go into battle, you like slide into battle on your shield, which is just 
now just hitting the X button, that's like the easiest thing in the world, annihilating all these enemies, swirling around, killing hundreds in seconds, then I'm like, what happened when this dude went to sleep? Was he lobotomized? <laughs> like, he's just the most amazing murderer of all time, and now he's struggling to take on two, like, idiots sitting around a fire in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, he also has access to all the tools, like the bombs and the ice and stuff like right. that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it could be a hundred years of blood moons, you know, for all we know. That's <laughs> true. The enemies are that way stronger. True. Um, yeah, yeah, like the bombs. I mean, he also, I mean, he is an amnesiac in Breath of the Wild, so you know. So he, he forgot all of his abilities. Oh yeah, because he's recovering his memory, so I maybe that's true. He forgot yeah. how to fight. <laughs> forgot how to be <laughs> I mean, a badass in combat. <laughs> but yeah, the ice thing is interesting, Kyle. Like they have those powers, uh, at least in the demo. At least you have the power, but you use the ice just to make a pillar underneath you to like dodge attacks. It's really odd seeing how they're taking these elements from Breath of the Wild and putting them in here, where it's like even the paraglider is just like a little kind of dodge maneuver to, to move around a little bit. It's funky. Yeah, there's there's a lot of invisible walls. Like in the second level, it, the, the stage starts getting tiered. So you're like, oh, I need to get down there, but you have to take long Dynasty Warriors style paths to get there because that's just how the gameplay works. Yeah. You can't jump off and like take shortcuts with the uh, paraglider, which is like a bummer. Right. But um, yeah, mentioned- I mean, there's Korok seeds that you can find like they're in there. And like there was even I had a moment where I was like, well, I'm not gonna be able to cut down trees. I mean, come on. This is like we're, we're, we're not gonna be able to do that. But and I ran up and I cut down a tree and I was like, I was like, it surprised me. I just didn't expect that, you know, because it's it is in a weird way, kind of a, a callback to Breath of the Wild to make sure that trees fall down and the logs stay on the ground, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would love to get a deep dive on just the tech of this game and like how many elements, just the idea of importing a lot of the assets from Breath of the Wild into whatever engine they're making Hyrule Warriors in, if it's just one-to-one at this point. Um, but yeah, playing this, it's it's one of those stupid thoughts that you have as a gamer every once in a while. We're playing this game, I was like, oh, that's right. I really used to love Dynasty Warriors. Like, I, the series has been going on for so long that I forgot back in... 2001 2002 like i loved these games and so playing this again was like oh that's right going seeing on the map where i have to go fighting the hordes not running too far ahead like it's fun to see these old nostalgic feelings for a different series pop up in a breath of the wild banner it's an odd one um did you like playing as impa kyle um i don't fully understand her yet you have to like you have to call in symbols and then suck in the symbols and then you have like yeah. clones of yourself like it seems cool but there it, at, at this point i'm just like eh, i kind of want to just swing a sword with link before i start getting into the complicated stuff right but it seems cool i just don't have that hang of it yet yeah i'm totally with you but uh you were on um easy allies on guys friend code their nintendo podcast and you were talking about breath of the wild and they framed the discussion in one of those interesting ways that kind of you know, changed how I looked at it with now with Age of Calamity and Breath of the Wild 2 in production, they have a Breath of the Wild trilogy. And so it's so weird to refer to, oh, you know, Nintendo's Breath of the Wild trilogy. But this does feel so far like if you're a huge Breath of the Wild fan, you should at least check out the demo. It's a fascinating offshoot that is right on the border of being probably necessary to play. If yeah, you're I mean, really, I'm, I don't know, stuff. you and I, 45 minutes, maybe an yeah. hour, but I'm, I'm already like really excited. I like it more than I thought I would. I really feel like I'm back in that world and like, I, I can't wait to play the full thing. I'm, I'm super excited. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it comes out November 20th for that one. Um, and while we're in the breath of the wild arena, uh, they released a demo for immortals, Phoenix rising, formerly gods and monsters. This is the, uh, Ubisoft joint. Um, but they released it on stadia. 
as a demo. And I thought that demo would be coming to other places, but like, nope, it's sticking to Stadia for now, which is a pretty impressive get. Um, but this is the game that, yeah, used to be called Gods and Monsters, looked very Breath of the Wild inspired, and it's just kind of like two islands, just like this little section. And unlike Age of Calamity, it doesn't seem like it's the very opening of the game. It's unclear. I like a clear demo where it's this is the start, whereas this one, I wasn't quite sure where I was. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure it's a, a an optional side quest that they is that get right? access to. Okay, because like they make jokes about like you can't die in a side quest. Right, which is, right. We can get into that, but like I like I like the humor a lot. It really, I I knew it was supposed to be funny, but it really I liked it. It I thought it was good. Yeah. So the way they do a lot of that is they have uh, in Gods and Monsters originally Ubisoft post on their blog about this that originally it was supposed to be Homer like writing the story of Phoenix's journey and like telling his grandkids and it was very um. It's that movie, Princess Bride. Um, and then with the reboot of calling it Immortals Phoenix Rising, they changed it. So now it's Zeus and Prometheus. You know, Sergio, it's your boys from Hades. Do you remember them? Yeah, Zeus is definitely in Hades. I don't I don't think Prometheus is in it, but... Oh, really? No, I think it's... I think Daedalus is maybe the closest you get to, oh, to Prometheus. I was saying, yeah. I mean, would you really know, Sergio? I mean, how much have you played, really, at this point? That's true. I'm all, I, another 100 hours, so... <laughs> oh, my God. And, and then you meet Prometheus... <laughs> What is, what, seriously, what's your hour count real quick? It's absurd, right? Uh, it's let me, 148. That's, that's, that's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> and if you want to learn everything Serial thinks about Hades, uh, there's a Max Spoilers up on our YouTube channel and in the Patreon-exclusive podcast feed as well, uh, where you had a bunch of smart people talking all about the story of that game. So check oh, that out, yeah. please. Um, I saw some nice comments about that Serial. I'm scared to listen to it myself because I don't want everything spoiled, but a lot of people mm-hmm. were like, holy crap, this panel rules. So good job. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm surprised that I was able to to get all of those people together in, in one group. It was, it was this weird... Uh, nice event for me of just like i can't believe i'm talking with these people right now <laughs> and who are these people Do you want to run it down uh yeah we have yusuf cole who uh does a lot of writing right now for bullet points he kind of manages that whole endeavor he used to be the creative director for uh hassan michaj's um old show uh, patriot act oh really and, yeah he used to do like a lot of the animation stuff and the transitions for like a lot of the infographics in the background i think oh wow um uh, Heather Alexandra, formerly of Kotaku and now at Double Fine, and uh, uh, renowned YouTube essayist and friend of the show, Jacob Geller. Yeah. Yeah, I was amazed by the... Uh, That's a killer group. Yeah. But I was amazed that, like, she can talk about this stuff while working at Double Fine. That's cool. It's rare to have a developer, mm-hmm. especially under a Microsoft banner. Anyways, the point, sir, that I'm trying to say is Immortals right. Phoenix Rising has <laughs> Zeus and Prometheus uh, talking and kind of giving their commentary over your entire gameplay, which... I'm all for being silly in games. I'm on the edge about which direction this is going to go, whether or not it's going to be obnoxious or whether it's fun. Like, the writing isn't bad, but I still am in that, like, mm, chewing on it, no, trying to figure I'm out how I feel fun, about man, it. Because it's like, it's not like you're getting pulled out for cutscenes or anything. It's just commentary. And yeah. I, I don't know, they break the fourth wall and stuff like that, and they reference current day anachronistic things. And, like, I was a, Zeus said something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but Prometheus is like, what is that? like talking about some current day word or something like that. And Zeus was like, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll move on. I like that kind of stuff. Like yeah. it, 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 if it was like pulling you aside and cut scenes and kind of like crammed it down your throat a little bit, I could see it getting obnoxious, but as sort of coloring for like, like just like setting the tone for that game. I, I, I enjoy it. Is it, is it better than the, uh, what was it? Who was it? Greg Probst in mad world. <laughs> it's like him and some other it's comedian. Profane. Yeah. Okay. It's more of like Greg Proops in star Wars episode one racer. It kind of like oh, okay. that level, I think. Yeah, on the proof okay. spectrum, I think it's around there. <laughs> um, but yeah, Kyle, what did you think of it overall? 
I man, it's been a good week for demos for me because I really loved it a oh, lot. Good. Like I was like totally on board. I mean, it is very Breath of the Wild, like more so than I expected. Because like when it was first announced, I was like, oh, this is clearly Breath of the Wild inspired. And then over time, everyone's kind of like, well, no, it has its own identity. I'm like, all right. And then I played it and I'm like, well, hold on. I even have like magnet powers and like I'm solving <laughs> puzzles and like, yeah, but like, but the not, magnet, but- not a knock against the game. Like it, it totally worked for me it, it, it in a weird way, not really getting into Genshin impact. Yeah. Like made this more enjoyable for me because I was like, well, this is more what I want from someone else sort of like looking at Breath of the Wild and taking a lot of inspiration, you know? Yeah, I mean, you talk about the magnet powers. powers. It is unbelievable. It's like the two magnetic beams above you. It's like one-to-one, but you know what? I guess it's only been done once yeah. in games before, so have at it. And also, it- more time with the game will probably, you know, show off more. I'm sorry, Anna, please go. Oh, ahead. no, it doesn't have as many puzzles as Breath of the Wild. Is it, like, would you say there's a lot of kind of, like, temple-ish gameplay it? They're pretty simple little puzzles, at least in the demo area. I'm curious to see if they have full dungeons or the equivalent of that, or if it's just going to be kind of lighter things here and there to get more items and whatnot. Yeah, which I liked. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't think it needs to go full Zelda dungeon. I don't, I don't need that. But I do want to solve puzzles. I do want to pick up things and put them on a grid and like move boxes around. Like, I like, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know? nothing wrong with that, man. Um, yeah, playing yeah, it. I, I mean, the combat feels good. The climbing feels good. The flying feels good. You can actually uh, boost your flight a little bit, which is like something you couldn't do in Breath of the Wild. But like, I can't wait. Like, it really left a positive impression on me in a big way. Yeah, yeah. It comes out uh, December 3rd on every system known to man. So look forward to it. Immortal Now Phoenix competing with Rider. Cyberpunk. Yeah, I know. Isn't that yeah. weird? Um, Ana Diaz. Hello. <laughs> um, you want to talk about the Pokemon DLC? Yeah, I've been playing the new Crown Tundra DLC um, from Pokemon Sword and Shield. And have to say, um, great piece of DLC here. A lot of meaningful <laughs> improvements. Really? Yeah, okay. honestly, yeah, so it's actually, it's it's really interesting. I mean, one, it kind of presents like the most interesting story that I've seen um, in the Sword and Shield like so far. Um, just like more, same old kind of like Pokemon antics, like goofy, like lovable characters, um, shenanigans. But um, what's really interesting is like this new way of battling called the Dynamax Adventures. And I have been, I was actually talking to some folks like in the Pokemon community about it. And people are getting like really competitive and really into it. Cause it's almost like they're describing it. They're like, yeah, it feels like a, like, like a roguelike, like Pokemon, but a roguelike. What? And so you get like, you rent a Pokemon, you have a choice between three. You have like 10 seconds to pick. You have to pick one quickly. Are they randomized? These- hmm? Are they randomized? Yes. Oh, that's fun. And you have these different branches of like the cave and you can just see like one of the Pokemon's types. So like, if it's like a poison, um bug type you might see bug type or you might see poison you don't know what you're battling but you know your pokemon's types and you know one of the types of the other pokemon yeah and so you do it and it's with three other people um or computers and um i've been talking to folks and it seems like they've really beefed up the ai like the battles are really challenging um and it's sort of bringing back like this sort of childlike joy of being absolutely pummeled by the elite four (laughs) um this is tempting and so, yeah, it's, it's, I was kind of like shrieking and hollering last night playing it. Cause like I, I lost my first run and I haven't lost like, I, cause Pokemon, you know, has this issue of, or it's not like an issue, but you know, it's a challenge 
of having to appeal to such a wide audience that yeah. I think typically like they think about their younger players a lot. And I, I don't think that that's a bad thing, but there are these people who have been playing since like Pokemon red and that sort of group is like very happy with this latest expansion. So I'm confused. I thought like the whole pitch for the DLC from what I remember from the first presentation was like, Oh, the wild areas. It's basically us kind of expanding more into that open worldish Pokemon. And that's still a thing in crown tundra. It's just the star of the show is kind of this offshoot cave where you have to make these runs. Yeah, um, it's. I mean, it's still a. It's still a part of it. You still get new routes to explore. There's still other story. Like you're gonna go catch the legendaries because that's like a big part of this. Is like those legendary Pokemon battles. Right. And I've seen some writers um, on Fanbyte saying like, "Oh, legendary Pokemon aren't special anymore." Um, but like, what has changed is that, like just the general difficulty of the story, and then also these Dynamax adventures. So. The Dynamax adventures are like the the crowd that little offshoot cave thing is the yeah. only way to catch some of the legendary Pokemon because they're like the final battle. And so, um, folks have been like, I, I was talking to um, the mod of a Discord, and he like runs the Discord connected to the Sword and Shield Reddit page, and he was telling me like their server has just like popped off after the mm. addition of this DLC. Like they had to add new voice lobbies. Like it's active all the time. Um, because people, the only way now to beat it is to like actually actively coordinate with people. Because it's kind of like if you're playing a rogue, uh, a rogue like, and um, you have to rely on other people for strategy. And so, um, so it's not like a co-op thing. It's just a matter of the strategy gets so difficult, you need to kind of Google around and talk to people. No, it's co-op. It it's co-op. co-op. Okay. Yeah. So when I played by myself last night, I played with the AI in the game because I'm like, okay, this is like the standard baby run. I still lost um, against the final boss battle. Um, no shame. But then, you know, if you want to go get like the strongest Pokemon, then the only the only way to feasibly do it is with other people who are like thinking through and like helping you sort of like max out your strategy. And so... Like it's sort of it's even drawing like competitive players, and so that's cool. I it's fun. <laughs> it's do you, do I have to play the first DLC? No, no, I played like a little bit of the first DLC. Um, didn't you know it didn't really stick with me, and I just skipped right to Crown Tundra. So yeah, that's that's tempting. That's good to hear yeah. that they're at least experimenting with the core gameplay making it a little bit more challenging. And I hope they can take that into the next game a little bit. Yeah. I think we're all yeah. for game freak. Well, and I think with this, like it really shows that like you can do both. Like you can have a storyline that's like a little easier and more feasible to like maybe newer, younger players, but then also have features like this that almost feel like a tiny, like a, just a tiny, you know, like the battle tower maybe, but more right. fun and more fresh. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Uh, Kyle, any chance you'd play the DLC? Uh, no, not personally, but I bought it for my daughter, okay. and and I but she never played it. So now I'm gonna push her again, do that dad thing where I'm like, look, I paid for this. You need to play Kyle, this and enjoy it. <laughs> Kyle, okay, the main story. It's cute. The main storyline of the Crown Tundra is a father daughter story. Oh, come so, on. there we go. Around uh, her if she doesn't play it. That's what, <laughs> yeah, You're that's what happens in the type. story too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's about it's just this dad, and he's like, "Why doesn't my daughter want to go on these pokey tours with me?" And it's oh it's actually God. really endearing and cute. I I love the new characters. Well, thanks, Game Freak, for making that for me and my daughter. Uh-huh. I appreciate that. the dad's His really name into is, Power uh, Witch. Uh, Heil Killiard, which uh-huh. is very <laughs> it's, it's very strange. I don't care for that first word, but uh, that seems great. Uh, it's spelled differently. It's fine. Uh, I see. I see. Uh, 
Kyle, thank you for being here. I know you're a busy man. Um, so do you want to let Jeff come back home? Yeah, thanks for letting me come in for a short little segment here to talk about all the demos. I had so many demos. All right, <laughs> Demo King. We'll see you next time. Jeff. Oh, I'm back Jeff home. Lava. Thank God. Welcome back. Um, Jeff, I am so thankful that you're here because I've been meaning to ask you, do you know how this whole thing operates? Uh, on dirty diapers. Dirty diapers primarily, everybody. That's right. Find your dirty diapers at patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. Uh, and hey, give us something to plug. We have IM8 bit, but we don't have any other things to promote uh, throughout the month of November. So if you support us at the $400 tier, we will read an ad read of your choice, promote whatever you'd you like. You can make Hanson say anything. You can put words in my mouth. Uh, Including you can, farts. Yeah, you can put a, you can fart in my <laughs> mouth on Patreon, everybody. So wow, you can perfect. promote your podcast, your streams, your YouTube channel, uh, your business, your project, your pet, your loved ones. Anything you want uh, throughout the month of November uh, by supporting us on Patreon, or you can get on the Wall of Heroes tier as well. Lots of benefits. I'm happy to answer any questions you have about how that promotion works, but we could always use your support. So thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Like the Bambox. They say, hello, MinMaxers. We are so thankful for the support you've shown us so far, and we're really excited about the box we've been able to get you next. Yes, the new Gamer Box has just gone on sale, and it might be the best one yet. This month's franchises are Super Mario Brothers, Portal 2, The Simpsons, Bart's Nightmare, and Dead by Daylight. Also, with Halloween coming, we decided to celebrate 30 years of The Simpsons, Trios of Horror, by doing a Simpsons pin set crossover between our Gamer Box, Geek Box, and Horror Box. It's our biggest crossover set in five years. And on top of that, the autograph in this box is one of the most iconic characters ever in gaming. It's a true grail item for any collector. We can't wait for you to see what it is. Be sure to reserve your October Gamer Box at thebambox.com. And then hit us up on Facebook or Twitter to become part of the BAM community. Jeff Marchiafava, for the last time, would you like to say that URL one more time about how people can become a part of the BAM community? TheBAMBOX.com Woo! Thank you for your support, BAMBOX. It's been an honor. Uh, also, thank you to I'm8Bit. Uh, they want you to know that they have in their wonderful online store right now the Annapurna Interactive Deluxe Limited Edition Collection on PlayStation 4. This is limited edition, just 2,000 of these. It has eight Annapurna games, including the first physical PS4 release of Telling Lies and Goa, an exclusive forward from Annapurna Interactive founder Nathan Gary, exclusive statements from each game's creative visionaries. It's region-free. So this awesome PS4 collection includes Donut County, Goragoa, Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition, Outer Wild, Sayonara, Wild Hearts, Telling Lies, What Tom and What Remains of Edith Finch, a game that we did for The Deepest Dive, and it is most excellent. So, limited edition, ultra premium, custom design folio package. Check that out. Go to IM8Bit Store and use the promo code MONSTERMAX. No space, no hyphen. Monster Max, when you're checking out at the store for 10% off everything under $100. So show them some support because they've been amazing in terms of the MinMax community and supporting us and also every week shipping out a prize to what we deem as the best question of the week. So if you support us at any tier on Patreon, you can submit a question or comment for us to read on the show. We choose our favorite. I am 8-Bit ships them out something very nice. And this week, it is Goragoa on Switch the exclusive physical edition from IM8Bit, and there's only 5,000 of these made. This is a cool bonus thing that will ship out to the greatest questions. So everybody, look alive. This this one really matters, so please pay attention. Yeah, it's a it puzzle is. game, right? I didn't play it. Yep, it's really good. Oh, good. Yeah, it's cool to have a physical edition on Switch. Um, okay, community questions. 
Seth Jones says, hello, howdy, Min Gang. You got it. Um, I recently started playing Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. The first time I played it around uh, the release, I didn't get it. I wasn't used to the open-endedness of its gameplay and structure. I was still video game young back then and never encountered a game quite like it. I was impatient, didn't appreciate the game's pacing and exploration. Where, all, where are all the waypoints, I asked. So my question is now, has there ever been a game you didn't connect with at your first playthrough and then went back much later and really gelled with it? So for me, I tried Hollow Knight two times. And I was kind of like, uh, I don't get this. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. Like, But then I finally looked up a video for tips and tricks on like the first boss fight. And then after that, it just like, it flowed. And I was like, wow, the platforming feels really natural. It feels really good. This is the best game <laughs> I've ever played. Wow. Yeah, it's a, that's also, it's going to be on PS4. And I guess back it's available for PS5 then with PS, PS Plus in November. So <laughs> PS Plus. PS, I'm sorry, I'm from Spain all of a sudden. <laughs> Please forgive me. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that idea of just it clicking with a guide. I've definitely had that a couple times where you just are stuck on this and then there's just that one little epiphany from watching a quick walkthrough. For me, it was like, you know, with Puyo Puyo, like as eh, beating my head against the wall for a while, then starting to watch some guides on how to actually make some chains and the way you actually structure these ladders in Puyo Puyo. Before it's like, okay, this this is clicking now. Gelled is kind of a, a strong word, but mine my experience has also been with Breath of the Wild. Oh, um, yeah kind of going back into it with different expectations and kind of knowing, you know, what I'm, what I'm getting into now this time. And I'm, I'm having more fun with it. It doesn't sound like it's a religious epiphany for you. That's a real problem for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still early and now I'm, I'm only playing Hades at this point. You you guys got me hooked on Hades. So it might be a while before I get back to it, but, but yeah, I, I, Having some time in it and hearing, you know, what everyone has liked about it and going in knowing what I don't like about it has definitely helped, you know, change what my experience has been with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I've told this story before of how I wasn't like I, I got into Destiny for a little while in twenty fourteen and then I came back to it in twenty seventeen. But I realized I also had a similar experience with uh, Kentucky Route Zero actually when yeah. I, I played the first two episodes as they came out. And I got to the point where it's like, ah, this is maybe a little too like arty for me or whatever and yep. not kind of getting it. And then playing through the entire game kind of back to back this year, definitely like I, I, it helped that I think I kind of understood more of where it was coming from in terms of like references to like, uh, you know, um, magic, uh, magic realism and things like that. That made me feel like, oh, it's actually like touching on all of these disparate things uh, that it actually kind of helped everything else about the game really click into place for me. Yeah, maybe I need to go back to. Kentucky Red Zero, because I finished it this year, but we talked about it at the beginning of the year so many times, mm-hmm. but I still, I'm still in that camp of like, I don't, I don't get it. I think it was a little too artsy and maybe I just need to go in without this kind of swell of hype around the game and just kind of appreciate sure. it for what it is. Yeah. Um, Fizz writes in and says, good day, everyone. Good day. Good day. Hey. Uh, I think I did a dumb thing and I played and completed Red Dead Redemption 2 and The Last of Us Part 2 back-to-back this summer, and now no other game I load up grabs and holds my attention the way these two titles did. I consider them both to be masterworks in the video game world for every reason you can think of, and now I'm lost in a backlog of great games that aren't just doing it for me. Last time it happened to me was in high school when I played Metal Gear Solid. Did I do a dumb thing? How do I solve this problem? Please help me. 
Jeffem, you know what it's like to blast through Red Dead Redemption 2 and just everything pales in comparison after that? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I saw someone posted in the Get a Load of this channel that there was a retired, like, 65-year-old man who was beat it, like, 30 times or something. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I envied him. He didn't have a baby, though. Yeah. That's true. I have the ultimate well, excuse. he did, but a while ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, there is a... I didn't want to say, because it was a very sweet episode last week, Jeffem, but... I kind of think that you made a baby just to get out of playing Red Redemption 2. I think that's what it came you down to. You will never know. Who can say? You have no proof of that, sir. <laughs> but yeah, what does uh, Chris but, do here? Uh, I Well, first of all, I don't think he did a dumb thing by devoting you know, his gaming time to two of the best games. Like You, you shouldn't have to play a bad game in between <laughs> two masterpieces in order, uh-huh. you know, as like a palate cleanser. But I definitely... The the game that this made me think of was Ghost of Tsushima, which is still yes. a very good game, but I played it immediately after The Last of Us Part Two as well. And just there there was a mismatch of production values there where it was like, uh, you know. I I, I kinda wished I had played Ghost of Tsushima first before The Last of Us. But yeah. but for me, like I get I think I get over that that feeling pretty quickly. You know, like like a couple months later, you know, I can play like very rough indie games and still find a lot of fun to them and things like that. So yeah. I wouldn't just give it give it a little time. Maybe play something in a completely different genre. Also, sometimes yeah. helps. You know, That's smart for sure. Yeah, that was my suggestion. Is to just play that something that where you can't even compare. It, you know, like yeah. uh, j- jumping onto, for example, Hades. I think would be a good point because it is so different from. You know, like there's not that expectation of like this has to be as well produced as something like Red Dead Two, right? Uh, because it's just coming from a completely different field. So I think that's yeah. maybe the best solution there. Yeah. Yeah. Or play a puzzle game, like pick up Tetris or Picross or Puyo Puyo. Because those are always great filler games. So. Yeah. And Tetris Effect Connected is going to be coming out on Xbox, you mm-hmm. know, at launch there. So uh, Tyler Lingbeek writes in and says, Hey, cohorts, with Fire Emblem's surprise announcement of coming here to the West after three decades of being exclusive to Japan, Mother 3 began to trend on Twitter. Mother 3 continues to be one of the most baffling things in the industry to me and one of the most wanted announcements in every Nintendo Direct. But if they were to actually officially bring it over to the West officially, who of you would play it? Has anybody already played the game? Um, so I've played Mother 3. I played it like on like a hacked PS Vita. Um, and um, I, I'd be interested to see how it lands today. Um, it's certainly, I think it would still be fun to play today, but like, I think it missed its window. I think if it would have been released, like in the era it was supposed to be released as like, we would be like doing a deepest dive on it. It would be known as like one of the best RPGs of that time. Um, because it is so, I mean, the story is incredible. It has one of the best soundtracks of Game Boy Advance. Like it's that I've ever heard. It's like six hours long. It's beautiful. Like there's an entire like orchestration in it. Um, but then also, like, I I feel like we have this conversation a lot of, like, how to improve R- RPGs. That game was definitely asking that question. Like, the battle mechanics, there's, like, a rhythm battle mechanic that actually really works in tandem with this incredible um, soundtrack where you're, like, you know, facing, like, a rock boss and you're sort of, you know, like, pressing A to the beat and, huh. um, like, it's it was, like, offbeat, but it wasn't, I'd say, like, as experimental as earthbound and so it actually was this really nice kind of like um 
packaged, more standard earthbound experience. Do you um, think if it ever comes to the West, I, I'm sorry to admit this in front of you, but I've never finished earthbound. I've started it a lot of times in my life. Could it's I, fun. But earthbound's I, pacing is really not great at point. <laughs> right. But do you think I could jump right into mother three? Is it just, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's no shared, there's no shared characters. It's like okay. completely new cast. Um, like I'd say the only thing that it shares is it's sort of, um, wackiness and it's sort of, um, care and like themes of love and it's wholesomeness is kind of like it, Shares a feeling, I guess, yeah. with Earthbound. If I'm not familiar with love or wholesomeness, will I be kind of lost? Um, no, because it is also a very dark game. Okay. Like that's why yeah. I think it's it's such it's so well written. Um, it's also timely. Like it's it presents like meaningful social critiques, and so I don't know if that's why they're like, oh no, <laughs> Americans won't be interested in this. Like, um. It's got this a, is, yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's just a cold, cold-blooded reptilian numbers game. They've they've crunched oh, the numbers yeah. internally and just they know it makes no sense to spend yeah. money on it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, like, if it would have been a bestseller, but I think that it would be sort of like definitely heralded in like the classics. It's like as like a, a must play, you know? Because yeah. I think it's better in a lot of ways than Earthbound. And, oh, interesting. Cool. So. Uh, Luke Strain writes in and says, I don't know if I've seen this alley-oop before, but he says, this question is dedicated to Pele of Melee, who asked it on Twitter. Sure. Um, While we have seen some indie games inspired by the Oregon Trail, shout out to Banner Saga, what do you think a modern AAA Oregon Trail would look like? Would it be more of a roguelike or light or neither? Would the players still sit in there and watch the wagon roll down the road or would the game need to be more actively engaging? P.S. The Banner Saga would be the perfect deepest dive. Not going to rule it out, but... Yeah, I think Banner Saga is basically the closest thing you're going to get, right? Yeah, or like, you know, people were comparing um, Pyre a little bit to it, that it was Oregon Trail meets yeah. NBA Jam was kind of the, the easy pitch for Supergiant's Pyre. You um, could also sort of see Until Dawn is kind of in that vein of like you're making decisions and it's kind of this harsh thing of who's going to survive. Oh, weird. Uh, by the end of it. Uh, very tonally different for sure. But yeah, but just making it like it, an it, FMV where you're just like making decisions about who dies. Yeah, that's, yeah, I feel like it would be kind of in that vein as well. Yeah, uh, I like this question. Inspired by our Oregon Trail documentary. Um, it was fascinating to play uh, the Apple II Oregon Trail with Anna on a stream and you had never seen that version, right? No, I mean, like I've seen so many different versions who really knows, you know, mm-hmm. Uh like, I feel like everyone's experienced Oregon Trail in bits and pieces. Like, yeah. um, but that was my first time. And I, um, you know, of course, like the, like the fundamentals are always there, but I would love, I would love an Oregon Trail. Yeah. Like where it's, you can be really brutal and you're just like killing off the, these characters that you've been so like carefully protecting. For so <laughs> right. Long. Yeah. I, I think there is something to that idea of, a roguelike where you're losing these characters that you're connected to. So a little bit like an XCOM, I guess, in that way. I think you can take some of the sensibilities of an XCOM, make it just into a really well-presented roguelike and still kind of keep that stupid presentation of going from the right to the left. That, or I'd want it to be actually a AAA production and have like open world, maybe even randomized environments in front of you as you're trying to actually make your way across uh, like it'd be so weird to have a game, you know, like a Bethesda version of the Oregon Trail, 
where instead of just, uh, oh, you're trying to take down the dragon to these quests, it's like, no, no, your one goal, like Breath of the Wild, defeat Ganon, like your one goal is get to Oregon and good luck. And the rest is just wide open, insanely huge game. Would there be a boss fight in this Oregon Trail? And what would it be? What would be the biggest boss? It'd be like a bear, like a scary bear that attacks mm-hmm. your children while they sleep or something, right? Or like a a rogue, a rogue wagon. There's just like a dark family, an evil family coming out of the shadows in their freak wagon. You know, something like that, Anna. <laughs> or even like I'm... a snowstorm. Oh, there it is. <laughs> the greatest boss fight of all. Wither has been the boss all along. <laughs> Do you have any ideas, Jeff? What would you want to see? Well, I, I still I still wonder what, what the core gameplay would be, though, for like those hours that you're just traveling. Like, like you're just in a wagon, right? Okay, so it'd be like a Switch game where you have to, like, you know, whip the ox and to make a move with the Joy-Con mm. and stuff. So the core gameplay would just kind of be boring, but still... It, yeah, yeah it, like, it would be like that... Yeah. Or, or like that Penn and Gillette bus game, right. desert bus yeah. game, essentially. By the way, I like you're calling yeah. them Penn and Gillette. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Well, there's the there's trucking games. Like, there are boring games that, like, work. So that is true. Combine that with... I mean, I guess... Well, I guess... Death Stranding is just Modern <laughs> Oregon Trail, right? Kind of. But with monsters, I think. Is, yeah, they're is in the, the same... They're the same conceptually, but I think they're otherwise very different. <laughs> I, I, I disagree. I think they... They probably have to lean more into like the the social aspect of it and like trading things, you know, yeah. like you're running out of mm-hmm. supplies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's always the hunting part of of the original Oregon Trail, which was always the best part. Yeah. Uh, ooh, and like that trading thing. I mean, at that point, just make it an MMO. Like, make it so you're actually trading with other people out there. Oh, like you're going on the trail and everyone else is another oh. player. <laughs> yeah. That would just be chaos though. Like Yeah, that'd be too chaos. That that would be the GTA online of Oregon Trail. <laughs> it would just look like Trackmania, like 17 chunky wagons <laughs> well, on top I mean, of the, each other. The way you could do it is like sort of like SimCity, right? That, that the online interconnected one where it's just like at some point certain decisions kind of put you in contact with another player of like, hey, here's what I can offer, and then another player comes by that same decision and they're like, Hey, this player is offering this. Right. You want to trade them for this, and then it's sort of like the Pokemon thing where it's like, Oh, I'm offering up with this Pokemon. Do you want to take this po- Pokemon? Right. So you kind of do that. I think you could do it. The uh the studio like company, I guess you'd call it Mech. To learn more about the history of Oregon Trail, please check out our documentary. Thank you for all the kind words of the documentary. But Mech, apparently in the 80s, was working on an online or interconnected version of the Oregon Trail that would actually like be a multiplayer experience, which I don't even know technically how they were wrapping their minds around that back then, but it's such a fun idea that I don't Hmm. know if they've ever done in all the iterations of Oregon Trail. Hmm. I don't know if there's been a big push into multiplayer, which seems insane. And now, I don't know. Was that on? It's Oregon Trail. It's multiplayer. It's four people on a wagon, and one's an imposter. Yep, smart. <laughs> trying one, to sabotage. Yeah. One is trying to go to the East Coast, and you have to figure out who that <laughs> is. Oh no! <laughs> uh, Oregon among us. <laughs> uh, Cos- among Oregon. It's not important. Uh, Cosby writes in, says, "Oi, you! What you look at it? Uh, Anna, did you ever play Dreams?" <laughs> Um, I played a little bit of it, yeah. Okay, it's the best game. Anyways, uh, Cosby says, uh, follow-up question. Do you think games that have had troubled development that resulted in a lesser product should have should have the opportunity for their own Snyder Cut if there's a large enough fan demand for it? 
the equivalent of going back and redoing Justice League from Zack Snyder. It's an interesting idea. I mean, I don't know if it... I feel like that has been the theme of this generation with, like, online games, right? Is that if you start really, like, slow out of the gate, things like Destiny, things like Anthem, I think a lot of games end up getting that second chance just through, like, the sheer amount of money that people put behind them, right? You know, like, the Division didn't start out as good as it was, and then, you know, they got to make a Division 2 over the years. For sure, but I think the difference there is that, you know, Rainbow Six Siege has expanded upon its base after release, but... Joss Whedon didn't come in at the finish line for (laughs) Rainbow Six Siege and be like, and now it's my vision, you know, like it's such a radical departure from creators. So that's what it makes me think of a little bit more. And and I, I, I think the, the difference is that like game development is more spread out between a lot more people. It, it doesn't just come down to a director who, you know, like this is their creative baby and you know, like things are getting cut out of that. I don't, I don't know what, what that would actually look like for a video game unless it was like one really outspoken person who had their content cut, you know, or like their story idea. I think the closest I can think, I'm sure people in the chat, people in the backstage pass, let us know uh, what pops into your mind. Hello, Rila Kuza. Thanks for being here. Um, But the one that I think of is what about like Insomniac and Fuse when they first showed it and it was Overstrike, you know, and then it got that complete... EAification of just becoming a right. generic third person thing. There are still cool elements in Fuse. I don't want to diss it too much, but I think that would be the equivalent of like the Snyder cut of Fuse would be going sure. back and redoing and actually releasing it as that overstrike, more cartoony, yeah. over the top impression. That's something of it. you sort of see it in remasters sometimes, where you know you look at that Grim Fandango remaster and it's like, oh yeah, we're kind of making the puzzles a little easier and we have like mm. the developer commentary, um, but. I I remember the 360 game Hydrophobia basically got a, like a re-release that was meant to improve a lot of the things people didn't like about it. And it still wasn't great, but it, you definitely felt like, okay, this is the game they kind of wanted to make even if it wasn't great. Um, That's but then I guess there were cut. also the Persona stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, things like Royal... Yeah, but that's just kind of like a director's cut. You know, it's not that shift in vision. Danielle in the backstage pass here... Uh, people watching us live, thank you, uh, suggest Scalebound. Where it's like, yeah, who knows? That's a weird one since it was canceled instead of kind of reworked and overhauled. Right. But if it ever came back yeah. and it was completely different, then maybe that would apply, but that's a good one. Um, God's Garage writes in and says, Dear wealthiest man in the world and crew, uh, it's been a while since we've gotten a mainline Mario Kart with eight released in 2014 and 8 Deluxe released on 2017 in Switch. Even though 8 Deluxe had a reworked battle mode, it's still been six years since a new Mario Kart entry, making it the longest gap between releases in franchises history. Incorrect, God's Garage. We talked about it last week. Technically, Mario Kart Live Home Circuit, but I know that's a, a, the freak of the bunch. Uh, do you think we're getting a new Mario Kart next year? And if so, what will it look like? I'm still fascinated by the journey of Mario Kart, and specifically Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Like, it has to be one of the cheapest how would you phrase this but i don't know most what's the word I'm looking for? most profitable choices nintendo's ever made just to port most that from economical. Wii U. something like that yeah but just that port from the wii u has now sold jeff how many copies do you think mario kart 8 deluxe has sold um 50 million well it's the it's the highest selling game right or is it the 10 number million now? is it number two now because of 25 million uh, Serial is closest, 26 million copies. It is in on a, wow. the top 25 of all time for all top time 20. video game sales. It is mind boggling. Um, and so 
with it selling so well and that game rules, like why Nintendo why would Nintendo shake it up? But they could, I guess, make people everybody who's bought Mario Kart 8 Deluxe buy a new version. And so I looked it up, the director of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, he hasn't directed anything since that game, which is from 2014. He's produced stuff like ARMS and Mario U Deluxe, but you know, if you want to just go off that alone, it's not like that team from the director top down has been fully consumed by something else. So I wouldn't be surprised if we got a new Mario Kart next year to go when, with a new powerful switch. When was the last time that they like the last point they made content though for Mario Kart eight? Like were they releasing DLC yeah, for an extended period of time or anything like probably that? Probably twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen when they released like the Zelda stuff. And so with the DLC they were going towards that direction of incorporating Animal Crossing and Zelda and different franchises and so I remember back okay. in 2014, but, everybody was saying they're going to do the Smash Brothers of Mario Kart, and that still seems like the logical solution here for the next one. Mm. But who knows? Mm. Um, Doreen Clary, Clary, Clary uh, writes in uh, mm. and says, do y'all think horror video games is in some way inherently scarier than a film? With films, you don't have any control of the situation and you feel separated in that way, but in video games, you have near total control. Personally, I get more scared with horror games more often than with movies. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I think it also depends on what kind of game it is because I think that sometimes having agency can actually be a little more scary. So if you look at like stuff like even Amnesia where I think at some point you can just run up to the monsters and get killed by them and it kind of breaks the illusion. But I think if you're kind of put in a situation like Resident Evil where you have to kill the boss or something and you're just like, I can't do it. It's either too hard or I don't want to face it. I think that can actually make it a lot scarier than if you don't have any, if you're just kind of like, oh, your one option here is to avoid it, right? Well, it, it's that difference between like the person in a movie is going to, is starting to walk up the stairs and you're like, no, don't, you know, don't do that. But they they kind of force you into that situation versus being the one on the stairs and knowing you have to go up there, but you're actively the one who has to do it, which I think is is so much scarier in a game. Right. You want to make progress, don't you? Get on up those stairs. Yeah. Uh, but people that actually Mr. Pass, X is up there. He's always up there. People that actually pass point out, Ian e. Clark specifically, that uh, we forgot about Mario Kart Tour, like the iOS game, mm. which I think mm. is probably doing pretty well for them. I don't know. Every once in a while, I think like that's a community that I want to check in on and just see, are they happy? Are they enjoying the game? Are, <laughs> are you they happy okay? in the Animal Crossing community? I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. Um. Okay, back to horror stuff. Jake Zielsdorf writes in and says, why are The Last of Us games not talked about really in terms of the best horror games? Is it because they're more expansive than a typical horror game and somehow transcend the genre? Yes. I think that's correct. I think there's a level of production where people don't see it as a horror experience first and foremost. It's a story experience. Yeah, yeah. Just just the level of storytelling and character development is what everyone ends up focusing on. Yeah, it's not so much about like, oh, like the how are we going to stop the scary monsters, right? That's not really the impetus driving the story. It's, you know, well, like obviously besides like curing them, but it's less about like, oh, there's this giant monster in my way. How am I going to get around it, right? That's not really ever like the hugest obstacle in those games. Yeah. Xavier Perez writes in and says, it's nearly Halloween, which means it's time for me to binge my favorite piece of seasonal media, the animated miniseries Over the Garden Wall. I associate the series so strongly with Halloween that I watch it every October. Do you all have a favorite piece of media that you consume slash experience during a certain season? Like a Christmas movie or something like that? A spring book, he suggests? That's a very sweet idea. Does anybody have one? I really like playing Night in the Woods in the fall. Ooh, I feel like I good. have, out of all seasons, I have the most seasonal media, 
seasonal media for fall, right? Um, so like I like lis- I do really enjoy listening to like the Charlie Brown soundtracks. Um, I love. I know I'm a wholesome person. No, that's very. Sweet. I um, like playing. I like revisiting Night in the Woods because it's a pretty easy play. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, I don't have a. What were you gonna say, Jeff? Um? Uh, I I have a flash drive of old like Christmas cartoons. You know, like uh, you know the those. Th- <laughs> I'm so tired. Those three ducks. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck's kids. Dewey, Dewey, and Louie. Yeah, ducks. Yeah, like like they have they have a couple of Christmas cartoons and like the this actual Scrooge McDuck Christmas tale and like all the cartoons that we used to watch as kids. At some point, I went and found them all online and downloaded them, and my <laughs> wife and I watched them every Christmas. And now you'll never because die. It makes me feel good. That's mm. great. Do you have the Garfield Christmas special on there? don't think i have the garfield christmas oh, that was there. very important to me growing up it's excellent i'll have to yeah. look for it dude yeah. I don't. you gotta see it <laughs> i've got it uh, i'm sure it's aged well with him talking about <laughs> dragging people out into the sh- street and shooting them he literally says that yeah he says whoever invented the christmas tree should be drug out in the street and shot it's like, oh yeah my god of course garfield. classic Classic Garfield. Garfield hates Mondays and christmas trees and is willing to murder for them <laughs> loves his glock yeah um, I don't have like a one related to a holiday, but I realized that I sort of do this with Dota in that whenever they have like their big, huge international pass in like the beginning, like right before summer, that's when I end up playing the most Dota is, you know, when they have all these little like rewards and stuff that you can buy the battle pass and uh, you can like level up and stuff. So I've come sort of to associate Dota with like summer of like, oh uh, yeah, so like summer, you can play a bunch of Dota and like you're gonna get rewarded for it. Even this year, when they technically didn't even have an event, they still had like the the international battle pass and I still played a bunch of Dota anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I have faith that, that has become like my summer game in a lot of ways. That's awesome. It, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that we have a new goal on Patreon. Uh, if we hit our next goal, which we're really close to, we will create a min-max holiday special, which... I keep thinking about it and I get more and more excited about like, oh, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. Uh, so if we hit that goal, we will make the most wholesome thing you've ever seen in your well, life. I'm glad you've been thinking about it because I don't think we've discussed it at all. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what that looks like. I, 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 every time, it's come up like six times in the past <laughs> yeah. week because you're so excited. Is this, yeah. <laughs> is this closer to like the community uh, holiday specials or it's more like the Star Wars uh, holiday special? This is much closer to Star Wars. It's basically okay. a one-to-one recreation. Oh, of the disaster special. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, it's really just going to be me with like a shaky cam of my iPhone trying to film through Jeffum's window as he's putting mm. presents under a tree. So please look forward Perfect. to that, everybody. Um, Andrew Baker writes in and asks, hello, Ben Maxers. Uh, I watched the kind of funny games daily in which Ben Hansen co-hosted. Thank you for watching that. Uh, and I was very surprised by Greg Miller. Not being the biggest kind of funny fan, I always thought he was just emulating a persona. However, I was surprised by the kind of funny games daily on how genuine he is and how he really seemed to just want to promote the Oregon Trail documentary. Really made me become a Greg Miller fan due to that promotion that he didn't really need to do. My question is, what gaming personality or developer do you think would surprise people with how cool or down-to-earth they are? I thought this was a really nice question um i do think greg miller gets a bad rap as just being the hey what's up guys got a funny best friends but like he is so nice he really goes out of his way for a lot of people 
I want to say like up and comers. It's weird to call myself an up and comer, yeah. but I guess, you know, we're still kind of an underdog here at MinMax in a big way. And he's been amazing at promoting what we're doing. And then what really sealed the deal is uh, Game Informer has a new video editor, Alex Van Aken, um, who seems great. Congratulations to him. That's awesome that they hired somebody new over there. Um, and I was checking out some of his videos in the past. He had a video about his family playing Fortnite. And I just scrolled down to the comments and the top comment was from Greg Miller being like, this is awesome. This is the type of content I want to see. And the video had like, you know, 3000 views or something. Like, it's just amazing to see him going out of his way to leave a comment like that. Like that really brightens somebody's whole career. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I'd be remiss not to mention when, uh, after the, the game from layoffs in 2019, that he basically Imran, like kind of talked to him about having uh JV and I on a couple of their shows. And it's like, he did not have to do that. He, he, he did end up paying for our flights and stuff out there yeah. to, basically help us at a time where we didn't know what we were going to do. So uh, yeah, shout out to Greg. Yeah. And I think it's just a good lesson too, of him being like the first big gaming Patreon. And he really got the ball rolling about just being as friendly and nice as possible. Not that everybody else is putting on an act, but I always think of, you know, easy allies out there too. They're just so supportive. And I hope we've been supportive in our own way as well. Um, it's just nice that that ball started rolling with the IGN kind of funny split of Greg Miller just being as generous as possible and that entire team over there. So, um, but yeah, I think almost everybody in the game industry is great. There's only been a couple of developers that I kind of thought were douchebags, but like, I think naturally it's kind of a, a humble industry. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Jeff, I'm, you've interacted with a lot of devs. What do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, I wish that was the, the takeaway when we were previously talking about the death threats that all these people are getting like, right. You, you go into these studios and it's just, you know, really nice, really enthusiastic people trying to make games because they grew up loving games and, and they, and they really just genuinely hope that, you know, like whenever they'd show them to us, they really just hoped that we would like them as much as they did. Not, not just because we were going to, you know, go back and write about them, but because they're sharing something that's really important to them. And it's so personal. Like it's, it's so unnerving to be watching a demo for a game and you can just feel like the director's eyes just watching you waiting for any reaction. But I totally get it. I mean, if I could watch a reaction video of everybody watching the MinMax show every week, I would probably do that and lose my mind. Um, so yeah, I can't imagine how personal this stuff is for them. But yeah, overall, game industry folks are, are pretty good. A uh, shout out too to like uh, Alana Pierce. I remember at E3 years ago, talking to her at some IGN like rooftop party. And it was one of those like, I think all Australians are cool. And I'm <laughs> really nice. That was my takeaway after that exchange. So I assume that she's still very cool. Um, Brian W. Holy crap. Jeff, Brian W. writes and he says, oh my God, there's a bomb in the house. Uh, uh! He, he wrote that tricky trickster bomb man installed an arcade ROM as the only way to defuse it. What game would it have to be for you to have the best chance at disarming it? Very <laughs> needlessly Wait. elaborate, Brian. Basically, what? what arcade game are you good at? You have to defuse this bomb by playing an arcade game. Which one do you choose? I mean, does Hades count as an arcade game? You out of your mind? <laughs> <laughs> your house is gone, Sorry, I'm going to need your gamer card back. <laughs> it, I mean, it's arcadey. Okay, arcadey Fun doesn't rate. count. Uh, I don't, you can't count Geometry Wars. This has to be like arcade cabinet. Classic. Yeah. Or it could be modern. I mean, you could, you could be a round of uh, Killer Queen. That counts. Okay. I think uh, I'd go either a game that I never stop talking about, 
Jungle King <laughs> or Jungle Hunt, which is an old Apple II game and the arcade version is very silly, but I played through that game a lot. Um, or the puzzle game Money Puzzle Exchanger where it's all Japanese currencies. And I think it's available on Switch and you have to like combine the different Japanese uh, coins to make them disappear and stuff, but it is excellent. And it's one that I can reliably beat other people at. So I'd go with Money Puzzle Exchanger, Brian. So wait, are, are we, you have to beat someone else at it or you have to beat the game? What's the, yeah, what's <laughs> the threshold? Did you... I'm really <laughs> concerned that my house is going to blow up right now. It's crazy. There's not much of a manual. He just wrote a couple sentences. The rules are ambiguous. No. I don't know. That's that's that trickster bomb man for you. <laughs> uh, anybody else? What are you choosing, Jeff? What's your arcade game of choice? What are you the best at? Well, I was gonna I was gonna say Tetris, but I didn't know that there was this bomb element to it. All I don't right, think I can Tetris. beat an arcade Tetris. I think you can still do fine at Tetris. Just choose Tetris. Yeah, you got okay, it. Okay, fine. I really like um, my favorite arcade game ever, and I liked it so much that I got good at it. Is um, so what? My family's from Chicago. There's an incredible arcade um, in South Chicago called Galloping Ghost. Actually, oh, there's yeah. stickers on my desk right now. It's an incredible space. And it's like you play you pay a set fee and then you get to pay, play games all day. So, like, we had this, like, annual family trip where we'd, like, go and play games all day. And there's this game called Tempest. Uh, yeah. Temp- Temp- Tempest by... Atari, and it has the little dial controller. Right. Um, And as, like, a younger person, I was like, this is so fun. This is such a different way to play a game. And I would just, like, one of the times we went there, I sat there, and I just played, like, the majority of the day just, like, that one game. Uh, (laughs) Even though, like, I'm in a room filled with arcade cabinets, I'm like, I'm going to play this one. That's cool. You can get uh, Tempest 4000 from the same creator came out on Steam in 2018 wanted to check really? that out yeah like yeah he's made Definitely. yep he's made so many bizarre games uh, that are on steam now that are very much in that vein but without the controller i'm with you, I yeah. know, you know, input. i wonder if i can get um like a sorry my cat was just uh meowing at me um i wonder if like there's like a little extra hardware that i can get because that would honestly be worth it a tempest really. usc ad- i want to say they had one for the ds at some point serial do you remember that there was some, I think, wheel attachment for some game on the DS. I forget what it was. Exactly. Oh, yes, there was. I don't remember what game it was for. Yeah. But you're right. There totally was that attachment. Was it for like the, um, wasn't there like a collection of classic Atari games for the DS that I think they Maybe. included that with? How would you Google uh, that? Because wheel attachment just brings up, oh, dial is probably the word we're looking for, right? Nintendo DS dial. Of course, when I look up DS wheel game, I get uh, Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I th- was thinking of Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, yeah. And that's yep. the game that I'd use to defuse the bomb. Anyways, uh, Musky Goron writes in and says, I'm currently playing through the original Final Fantasy VII after playing the remake earlier this year, and I'm loving it. However, there are certain quirks that have me busting up laughing because they're unexpected and seem very of its time. Excuse me, I'm getting choked up. Very of its time. For instance, I was doing the squats minigame and was totally unprepared for the bodybuilder to get absolutely yeeted across the room by a character <laughs> smaller than Aerith. It was so unexpected and hilarious, I thought the following question, when is the last time a game did something so unexpected it made you laugh out loud? So, I don't know. I was just, maybe, I have, like, a really low bar for sense of humor, especially during the pandemic. <laughs> like, if anything just, like, slightly surprises me, I'm just, like, I'm I'm there. Like, I'm laughing. Um, I laughed while playing Pokemon, um, just because, like, I 
didn't, again, yeah, didn't expect a character to do something. I think, like, the last time that I, like, laughed, like, truly, like, this is unexpected, like, ridiculous, was, like, maybe Undertale, because some of the fights are, like, very wall, like, third wall breaky, you know, type moments. That are, fourth like, wall. You know, fourth wall. Yeah, we have three. <laughs> um, hey, I didn't study theater. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a great choice for sure. I think even Paper Mario, I think this year, you know, mm-hmm. I, I still fell off that game and I hope to get back to it at some point. But that game really made me laugh out aloud quite a bit in the first couple hours at least. Yeah, that game has some actually some pretty strong surprises that are like pretty funny. I remember there's, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a moment in that game that I think I found really surprising. I'm like, I, I actually can't believe they went here. It's actually pretty cool. Is it one that's uh, kind of emotional without spoiling anything? Cause I've heard people. No, no, no. It, this is more, this is more funny than, than, than uh, it's not, I don't think it's the moment you're thinking of. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I, uh, uh, Delta rune also did something like that. Uh, where I think they just had a, like, I don't know why it caught me so off guard, but they were like, it was some, enemy towards the end towards the end of that game where they're like they're taunting you of like i'll behold my power or something like that. i don't remember what the specific interaction is but they're like i think you ask them a question like oh can i see it and they're just like no and the dialogue immediately like the, the way it's delivered it's just like the dialogue box appears. he says no he doesn't even they don't punctuate it and then the dialogue immediately disappears and he wa- he like vanishes off the screen <laughs> and it's like how quickly they were able to deliver that joke through through the like the RPG framework, I thought was like, oh, that actually got me up by like caught me off guard and was actually really funny because of the way they messed with the mechanics there. That's great. Uh, Jason Kelly writes in and says, I've been replaying the Mass Effect trilogy. When I got to three, I noticed a bunch of not so great turret sequences where you're either on the turret for like three seconds or is this more efficient to hop behind cover and use your regular weapons? Got me thinking. What exactly makes a good turret sequence? I always go back to Metal Gear Solid 3 where Snake is in the sidecar with the machine gun and it's basically just a cutscene. Is that a good or a bad turret sequence? Does that even count as a turret sequence? I would count that Shagohad stuff as a turret sequence. Turret sequence. I don't think uh, I'd count it as great. Like, the Shagohad's cool, yeah. but I just remember... All I remember from that sequence was Snake screaming and it looped so many times. Just him going like... Aah! Aah! Because it's firing that gun so much. It's a cool moment because it's like the, the one of the few times you actually get to to um, you know fight people with Ava. But I don't think it's like great mechanically. Yeah. I think my favorite one, my favorite turret sequence is probably in the original Crisis because you're uh, you're on a turret, but you're actually kind of vulnerable while you're on it. But the idea is that you're kind of you have to keep up because it's on a moving train basically. And the idea is that you're kind of so fast when you enable like maximum speed that you're actually hopping off the turret and actually fighting enemies like you're killing you're running up and like meleeing enemies and then getting back on the turret to take care of other enemies so you're actually pretty mobile while you're on this turret sequence and i thought that was like a pretty good way to approach it of like you still have all the agency that you have in the regular game yeah but then you also have this incredibly powerful minigun that'll just like eviscerate helicopters so that's the secret just more control yeah, just not not make it so that it's basically like a, a light gun for uh, a little while. Yeah, yeah. The the one thing that I thought of is in some of the Halo games, it's it's kind of a similar thing where it's not you're not forced to just sit in this turret, you know, for a determined amount of time. But it's it's just another tool that you have in a section right. where you're going to be, start being flooded with enemies. And I think I think it was maybe the third one where you could actually rip off the turret at some point and then just use it as a chain gun. Like yeah. those were always 
good moments. That's awesome. Yeah. Also in Halo, I, I do like that you can just kind of opt out of them, sort of, mm-hmm. in that you're like, oh, I'll just drive the car, you drive the, t-, like, you you handle the turret stuff. And that actually ends up being pretty cool, where all I'm really in charge is, of, is getting close to the enemies, not actually, like, aiming or whatever. They'll take care of that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of fun stuff, all right, we have to make this call quickly. Mm-hmm. Swine Flu 2388 asked, what is the most fun experience this generation? Swinging around in Spider-Man, using the axe in God of War, getting a champion win in Apex Legends, flying around in Arkham Knight, uh, grappling wingsuit Just Cause 3, Super Shotgun Doom 2016, Ghost Ability in Ghost of Tsushima, wall running slash jumping in Titanfall 2, or calling a chopper in Call of Duty Modern Warfare. I think the answer is uh, swinging in Spider-Man. Yeah, I think that that's might the be one. Yeah. That's the one I was feeling yeah. too. All right, because you you it makes you want to do that outside of any context, right? Like that's the all the other ones are like I want to do this so I can kill the enemy and move on. Whereas yeah. that one like that is you can just do that for hours by itself. Yep, yeah. exactly. Dan Willie has a game. Oh boy, a lot of setup. He says here's a little game I'm going to call Bet the Score. Oh, I'm going to give you one million dollars. Oh, I'm sorry, imaginary dollars. You Aww. each will take this and make the over or under bet based on these Metacritic scores for the following fall games. So we have to guess whether the Metacritic score will be over or under the number that they give. Mm-hmm. All right. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Serial, 82. Over or under for Metacritic mm, score? I'll say over, but not by much. I also say over. I say over. I guess I'll say under just to be the there contrarian. we go. Yakuza like it doesn't have to be a contrarian, by the way. <laughs> 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 contrarian. Like you're saying contrarian's like, I guess I'll do this to be nice. <laughs> Yakuza like a dragon. 80. I think I'd take over, but not by much. I would also take over. over. I'll go over on that one. Yeah. Over. Okay. All right, here's a slam dunk. Spider-Man Miles Morales, he puts at 80. I'm taking the over on over. that. Yeah, over. Yeah, come on. Come on, man. Because you got to think, every outlet's going to put their biggest Spider-Man fan on that review. Which one of those situations? Ooh. Bug Snacks, 78. I think that's that's a, that's a tight split. I think that's... I think I might go under. I think I might go under, too. I'll personally go over, but under for the rest of the industry. <laughs> okay. Okay. A lot of squares in the industry that don't that don't understand bug snacks. Mm-hmm. I get it. Anna? I don't know. You know, there's been, because of popularity of games like Fall Guys, I'll, I'll give it an over. Okay. All right. Demon Souls, 85 on PS5. Under. I'm going to say over. Over! But, uh, personally, yeah. I would probably say lower. I think it's going to score higher than, because people are, you yep. know, I think pretty big. Like you said, they're going to put their biggest Dark Souls uh, fan on true. it. Yeah. That's true. Dang it. Uh, Sackboy, A Big Adventure, 78. I'll go under. Oh. Under. I think it's going to be a solid 74 or something. I'll go under. Okay. Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, 80. That'll probably be over. I think it'll probably be over too. Uh, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, 78. I think Mm. over. I think over also. I think Hyrule Warrior, the original Hyrule Warriors was around that. So Mm -hmm. I think this one has a lot more hype behind it. So I think it will rate higher. That's true. All right. Thank you for the game, Dan Willie. Um, Nikki Insane says, hey, I just wanted to drop by and let you know that that uh, Hanson's Museum Destruction game idea from last week should be called Smashed Pieces. 
Mm. I'll, I'll gladly collect royalties from Mr. Wealthiest Man in the World when you use this in the title. So. Oh, yeah. I, fi- I figured out a, a, a tax loophole that prevents you from getting those royalties. Sorry, but uh, you, you can always subscribe to uh, Semester Pieces Prime and uh, get free shipping on your copy that we'll send you. God, every time, did, wealthiest man in the world. Hanson, Hanson, did you create a dream game where you just smash a museum? Uh, we were talking about our, our dream games that we would make, and I said, yeah, a VR game where you just have a sledgehammer in a British museum. Um, but Adam mm. Moran right, wrote in, and a lot of other people let me know as well. Uh, Adam Moran says, yo, Ben, there's a game made in dreams called Art Therapy that matches your museum destruction simulator idea one-to-one. <laughs> so thank you, Perfect. dreams community, for already making the game that I wanted to play. Uh, okay, Clint Farley is back. This is intense. He says, hey, Max crew, hope everyone's doing well. So the music trivia I submitted last week turned out to be a little bit harder than I thought. So I guess those end credit songs just stuck with me more than perhaps the rest of you. But like many of you mentioned, it's usually the music in the actual game that stands out. So this time I've picked what should be a much easier batch for a second round of music trivia. Thank God. Okay, here's the catch. I didn't play the hard one. Can't wait to screw this one up as well. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm some, so bad some at are this. still tricky. But here's why I love Clint. Here's why I'm madly in love with Clint Farley. He mm. says, to add a little more fun, I'll increase my pledge on Patreon for November based on the number of songs you get right. <laughs> oh, no. I'm currently at the How five. Sorry in advance. He says, I can give one hint. Okay. Uh, I'm currently at the $5 tier. So if you get one right, I'll do $10. Two, I'll do 20 If you get all five, Ow. I'll do $50 for the tier. Wow. Whew. Wow. All right. Man. Okay. Our lives Good depend point. on this. Don't blow it, team. Okay, here we go. First song. (laughs) I mean, you're not going to get a better game than that. Is it Twisted Metal? Incorrect. Is it Twisted Metal 2? Thank you, Jeff Fargiafava! And thank you, Clint, for upping your pledge on Patreon. Okay, next one. No hints yet. Oh, uh, God of War. There we go. There's, 26, 2018, sorry. Yeah, there's those stupid jokes that won't leave your head, you know, that you saw on Twitter now four or five years ago. I remember when they brought out the orchestra to play this song before you knew what game it was from. I remember Jason Schreier tweeted, hang on, he goes, Crash Bandicoot. Just as a joke, and now every time I hear this song, I gave it that on my head that this is the theme of Crash, yeah. Okay, anyways. All right. Next one. Serial, probably the closest to your wheelhouse for my one hint. menu music. I'll jump ahead. Oh. I don't know if that's helping too much, but do you have a guess, Surreal? It's not DMC Devil May Cry, is it? No, this is no. Wolfenstein New Order. New uh, Order, ladies and gentlemen. That's tough. Okay, here's an easier one. 
journey. Yeah, Anna, killing it. All right, here's it. Oh, here's one. I'm gonna sit on a knife if none of you get this. I mean, I, there are a bunch of games that come to mind that sound ah! like. But I only get one guess, right? Yeah. I'm trying to decide which entry in the series it is. I'm mm. pretty sure I know the series. Okay. I'm gonna guess Crash Bandicoot 2. Incorrect. Plain vanilla Crash Bandicoot. Hey! Thank you. Oh boy. All right. This one might be the trickiest, but I think it's a good song. Um, do we, is it one guess for all three of us? That's it. You know what? He didn't really say. I think one guess for each of you, I think, makes sense, right? Hellblade? Nope. Wait for this part. Wait for the drop, sorry, it's sick. could argue this is a game that I've talked about for regrettably hours and hours and oh, hours. This, it's from the Min Max Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> when is this drop coming? Did he... <laughs> I don't know. Was it got a, lost. Was that a drop? Any guess? Uh, oh, is that a drop? Okay, here's the thing. PUBG. Great guess. It does kind of sound like the original PUBG theme. No, Anna. It's little. Thought I had a guess, but now I'm like. Yeah. Uh, that's a tough one. That's Deus Ex: Human Revolution. What I would argue is the worst deepest dive slash game club of all time. Back then we did a game in form, right? I hated that one so much. Um, okay, last one here. I don't know if any of you have played this game in this part where the music is from. Perfect. <laughs> but, oh. uh, but it just screams something. It yeah, screams yeah, it. it. Final Fantasy VII? Yes! Serial Vasquez! <laughs> Fantastic! You can hear the cry of the planet from Final Fantasy VII. Backstage Pass people are about to lose their minds. Uh, way to go, Matthew Pax, with the Backstage Pass. Um... Thank you. Uh, thank you, Clint Farley, for putting the Patreon stakes on this bet. And now I think you're at the $400 tier? No, 50 or whatever. Whatever, you, whatever we got up to is good. Thank you, Clint. We appreciate it. Um, okay, question of the week. What do y'all like? Mm, 
Either Clint's or the uh, season question I thought was nice. Oh, the season question was nice. That's true. Yeah. I like for thinkers, I like the Snyder Cut for games. I like the turret sequence just for being interesting industry thinkers, but I'm I'm open to other options. Jeff, do you want to mind? Um, I kind of like the season one too. Okay. All right. Serial, you can live with that? Sure. Let's do it. All right. And as everybody knows, that can only be one thing. That is Xavier Perez. Thank you so much for submitting this question, Xavier. We appreciate it. Uh, I am 8-Bit. We'll ship out that physical copy of of Agora Goa on the Switch. Thanks so much. And now, Jeff, um, of course, it's time for a little something we like to call Get a Load of This. All right, Jeff, um, take it away, dude. I uh, get a little of this. This is months old at this point, but I haven't been consuming much media since then. But uh, I finally followed up because I wanted to see what the uh, Washington football team was going to change their name to since oh, they yeah. got rid of, you know, the old offensive one. Uh-huh. And I found out that they're now called the Washington football team, which was supposed to be temporary but what really blew my mind about it was that they said that they were they were going to play the entire season as the washington football team while they tried to come up with a different name yeah and when they said that the coach or the owner said you know maybe if people like it we'll just stay the washington football team what uh and then and then i think just this past week they announced that next season they're also not going to have a different name but also still maybe they'll just keep washington football team (laughs) As the name of Washington's football team. At that point, they should just go more generic, and the official name should just be like the Good Football Team or something like that. My Great Football Team (laughs) One. That's absurd. Uh, Thank you for the NFL update. I feel like I could use an NFL update from the community every week instead of watching all the games. Um, Happy, happy to give it to you. Absolutely. Hey, get a load of this. Um, It's a little legally legalese if you want to call it that but uh there's interesting interview just to keep things in perspective i think it helps a lot but there's a games reactor interview with phil spencer where he was they're asking a bunch of questions about you know the bethesda purchase and all this stuff and phil spencer to be like oh hang on a second he says first of all i'd like to say that we have not acquired zenimax we have announced our intention to acquire zenimax it is going through regulatory approval and we don't see any issues there we expect early in 2021 the deal will close but i say that because i want people to know i'm not sitting down with todd howard and robert Alt been planning the future because i'm currently not allowed to do that that would be illegal <laughs> i love that idea of just like they can't even mm-hmm. talk about their internal plans yet because that's illegal because the sale has not technically happened yet so something to keep in mind for everybody jumping the gun but here. didn't didn't they already say that one of those games was coming to game pass doom eternal is on game uh, pass. yeah all of Bethesda stuff is was that game just pass. was that just a different business I decision that they made? I don't know earlier? how that stuff works. Yeah, I don't know. A judge gonna hmm. find that on game? I don't know exactly how that works. Um. Anyways, serial. Uh, do you have one? Yeah. So I have I have two. Uh, one of which is very quick. Uh, so it turns out that paddle controller was for Arkanoid DS, which title Taito released. Perfect. Thank uh, you. And it actually God, ended up working amazing. with other games, and you could play other games with it. Uh. But my real one is that uh, Liam Allen Miller uh, at RSS Liam on Twitter posted uh, the 3D walkthrough of this house is a good candidate for game of the year. And so he links to a house listing that has a 3D view 
that you can navigate. Uh, and if you click through it, it, it is pretty wild in that you see the outside of this house and it's like, okay, it's a fairly sizable, uh, like uh, what it looks like maybe a four bedroom house or something. Yeah. And you can, you can do the virtual tour, but then you just see like picture, it's sort of like this Google street view where you're just kind of navigating the house from the inside. And it is wild how big that house is. Cause you just see like, okay, I'm in the basement. Uh, I think this is as low as it goes. And then you're like, oh, there's this other, there's another staircase. And you're, and it's like, <laughs> these people are like, um, they have so many boxes that make every room feel like this giant maze. And there's just like industrial, uh, like looking bathrooms in the basement of the basement of this one place. And there are all these like corridors everywhere. And a lot of it, so much of it takes place underground. It's so, it is such a like weird house. Uh, that it's worth looking through. Like all the bathrooms and stuff are really weird. Like it's just, uh, yeah. That sounds just weird. Take a tour of this house. It is really weird. It is in the description below. If you're listening to this or watching this, mm-hmm. you can check it out there. Anna, do you have one? Yeah, get a load of this. Um, I've been enjoying so this streamer Taco has been doing like lore hunting for Pokemon. So he'll just like do streams where. He's just like literally looking at the larger environment to try and like tell stories and like figure out questions about the world. So like one thing that he found was um, like a sort of origin story to the Dynamaxing. And he figured out like a working theory for um, like there's at the very beginning when Pokemon Sword and Shield were announced, like people like, oh, look at all the markings on the hills and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and he finally figured out that like one of them is a Dynamax. Um, I want to call it Toxicroak. It's not Toxicroak. It's the electric poison Pokemon. But he figured out the Pokemon um, during this stream and like did a little thread on it. And it's he's continuing to do that. And it's like kind of a fun way to stream a game. That is a fun idea. I can't imagine him like looking through all those art assets for Sword and Shield trying to piece it all together. Because like the thing that really made me laugh with that game is how in the big towns, like every house was identical, except they just had like a different crappy poster in the background. So imagine this guy like going through dissecting every pixel of the poster. That's the one difference between all these houses and stuff. Yeah, no. Well, and he's focused more on like larger environment, but it is funny because it's not like, I don't know, like I was like, oh, it'd be fun to do that for like Breath of the Wild, you know, where you're like, oh, let's look at these ruins and talk about it and think, you know, anyway. So yeah, that's good. uh, sorry, did you have something else to say, Anna? Oh, no, just that Pokemon's actually probably not the best game to be doing that because it's only... <laughs> and the creators are pretty loosey-goosey with that stuff, too, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Jeff, do you have one from the community and the get, get a load of this channel on the Discord? Yeah, get a load of this. Uh, this one's from Grizzled Gaming, who's now Grizzled Ghoulie uh. for the season. Uh, but he posted a YouTube video by William Maranchi, who I'm probably butchering his name, but it's called... Um, Beastie Boys Intergalactic, but it's Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. And it 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 carries over the the all the lyrics and singing from uh, Intergalactic, but it puts them into the Ghostbusters theme song, and they fit together perfectly. And he made an entire like music video splicing the music video with scenes from Ghostbusters, and it's very entertaining. That's so good. Um, help me out. Oh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> 
This is just Justin Leeper, the old Game Informer editor. Jeff, mm. you didn't work with him, right? He was before your time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he, I went, went to a karaoke bar. You're probably there. E3, like yep. 2011. And he got up to sing uh, Rock the Casbah. And then he uploaded this to YouTube, I believe. This is him. It's like, okay, it's cool. You got it. <laughs> this idea of going up to sing karaoke and then blending it between multiple songs. Look, this video has 1,700 views. Uh, it's still one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like, I am so jealous of anybody that is that bold to mix stuff on the fly like that. And here's my dream. Well, never mind. I'll save it. I'll save my dream till I eventually do it. <laughs> until I'm save it for, the, save it for oh, the Christmas only, special. Only our supporters get to hear your dream. <laughs> they right. unlock your dreams, your yeah. hopes and dreams. I'm working on a hot mashup. Um, that's very good. Uh, great. Thank you to everybody that watched or listened to this episode of the MinMax Show. We appreciate it. Uh, every new supporter on Patreon, I always reach out to and send some messages back and forth just about how they found us, what kind of stuff they want in the future. So thanks to all the new voices that I've been talking to recently in celebration of our anniversary, all that fun stuff. That's great. Um, coming up this week, we have some bonus streams. So again, follow us on Twitch at MinMax Show. Uh, tune into Leo Vader's big uh, stream of Watchdogs Legion. Then we have a Max Spoilers for Mandalorian Season 2, the first episode. We're bringing back Ross, the Star Wars Guy Fund, uh, to have a fun chat there. I think Brian Vore, former Game for Writer, is going to be joining us on that front as well. Also, I wanted to plug that uh, Extra Life is happening uh, next weekend, Saturday, November 7th. We're streaming for 25 hours straight to raise money for Gillette Children's Specialty Healthcare in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and we're joining forces with our old friends at Game Informer, so it'll be a fun Game Informer Cross MinMax event with some competitions thrown in there along the way. It'll be a wonderful time. Does anybody else have anything they'd like to plug? Well, stay tuned for MinMax Christmas special. Yeah. If we hit yeah. that goal. Um, also, look, as uh, Kyle Bossman from Easy Allies once said, if you've listened to a podcast this long, you're family <laughs> for sticking around till the end. So here's an inside scoop. Uh, if you have a Nintendo Switch and you want a sweet grip to slide it into in handheld mode, it's called the Satisfy Grip. And we are giving away two of these. It's the full Satisfy Grip bundle. It is S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E if you want to see this thing. Um, but they agreed to give two away to the community. So if you tweet out your favorite MinMax content or really anything about MinMax and use the hashtag GamesFriendsGettingBetter, no space, we'll randomly choose from two people that tweet that out and Satisfy will ship them out to or one of these grips, but we're choosing two winners. So again, tweet out with hashtag GamesFriendsGettingBetter and share your favorite piece of MinMax content and you have a very good chance of winning a sweet Nintendo grip, which I can't play my handheld Switch without it. Jeff, you're a monster for playing your raw Switch without a sweet grip like that. Oh man, now I gotta get one. You gotta get one. Thanks for the support, everybody. We appreciate it. Also, since it's the last big week, uh, Please get out there and vote, Americans. All the Americans in the audience. Yeah. Get out there and vote early if you can or just make time on Election Day itself. Um, and as we've said in the past, just, you know, like your three friends that might be on the fence about voting, just text your three friends that might be on the fence and just give them a friendly reminder uh, or yell at them to go out and vote or you'll go over and give them a noogie or whatever encourages mm -hmm. them. 
text family members to three phone numbers on your friends list. <laughs> yes, exactly. Text text vote to six people in the next ten minutes or uh, blood American Mary democracy die. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, please get out there and vote. Please don't forget, everybody. We would really appreciate it. And thank you to all of our fifty dollars supporters on Patreon. We have the Bam Box, I am Eight Bit, Marco Rico Torreno, Zachary Pliggy, Rebecca Lang, Beaten Down Brian, Brian with a Y, Captain Stubbs One, Mark Seliga, Jawar Hello, Ludwig Roque, Andrew Valla, Jesse Vitelli. Oh, this one just says your name here if you support us at the $50 mm. tier. That's interesting. Uh, Sam Miami 83, Thomas Hoster, Snake 24, Yarrow, William Garcia, Spiral in Your Eyes, Richard Smut, Spider Dan, Alex Payne, Pritham, Yarla Gata, JT Fells, Steve Bamdad, and Chris. Thank you so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go! Let's go!